Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Welcome back to the Hooked On Podcast. Not only welcome back to you, dear listener, but welcome back to my friend and my colleague. He's back on the airways. It's showbiz Paul Benson. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, Rob. How's it going? And hello, listeners. Sorry I've been a bit AWOL recently. It's been an absolutely crazy few weeks with Hooked On Bits and my real life getting in the way. Um, missed you guys like crazy. Missed you a little bit, Rob, as well, actually. Oh, that, that, that's nice. I mean... Just a little bit. We, we had Dean A.S. On, on the show last week, and um, I mean, yeah, you don't need to you know, listen to the show or anything. Was, we don't know if we talked about you or slagged you no. off or stitched you up or anything. But, um, so just don't listen, it's not worth it. But um, generally, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a laugh of someone who definitely did hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard, I had a few emails as well. Oh, did you? Bizarrely. I don't but know where they came from. That's definitely nothing to do with me. Um, but we welcome you back on. But I, I can't let uh, I can't let things go without a little bit of a, a delve into your showbiz world. There's a reason, gen- uh, ladies and gents, why I call Paul Showbiz Paul Benson. And uh, <laughs> his latest little showbiz pal, as I was uh, glancing through my Facebook this week, was uh, there's Paul with um, the third of the Hardy Boys. So you know there's Matt and Jeff, but uh, Tom made an appearance at the other uh, recent Bama show. Yep, yep, he was there. Um, as some of you guys know, I am um, head of commercial for Bama. Uh, we had an event at Wembley Arena last Friday, which in itself was quite cool because the last time I was there in a working capacity was TNA all those years. Um, we did those tours there. You and I have both had many interesting experiences at Wembley Arena, um, including Rick Flair's watch, uh, Rick Flair's phone, if I remember rightly. Um, but um, no, it was great. Um, ended up uh, bumping into Tom in his dressing room, having a good old chat with him um, and his and his guys. Very nice, down to earth bloke. Likes a bit of MMA. Um, I was I wasn't very starstruck to be fair because he's he's just a decent dude. But basically, he came straight home and uh, watched Legend. My missus is command the next day, which was quite fun. Um, so yeah, I've been <laughs> I've had an interesting few days. Is Legend is Legend the MMA film? No, that's Warrior, which Warrior. is a phenomenal film. Yeah, Warrior, okay. um, and he's I've amazing seen... in that. Amazing. Well, I've, well that's I've... how he started training. I've seen the reason that. He was, it's very very good and the reason he was there is because that film piqued his interest in MMA and um, he's been training ever since you know casually as a, as a fitness thing and he, one of his training partners is actually or was the Bama middleweight champion I think it was and he was in the main event on um, on Friday and he got beat which is a shame especially as Tom was there to celebrate his 40th birthday but that was sort of the story behind it now Legend is the film about the craze Oh yes, of course it is. We Where he two, plays we both, both parts. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Just Warrior was the one that I was thinking of mainly because uh, I watched. I think I got sent a review copy of that. I'm, it's not the kind of. I don't think I'd have found my way to watch it. Oh, what's that? Something making a noise on the line there. Um, I don't think I'd have gone out, out of my way to watch it, but um, uh, I think I must have got sent a review copy because Kurt Angle was in it, and so uh, yes. I was there to uh, to review Kurt Angle's part in it, and he didn't say anything. 
he was he was Kobo, wasn't he? I don't remember what he was called, but I remember. But I think he was Russian or something, wasn't he? he was like that's right. They they they, yeah. they build the American hero angle as a Russian, and then he didn't say anything. So it was a, <laughs> a worth. Uh, it worked you. very well. It worked incredibly well, actually. He was the the unstoppable Russian MMA machine, Cobra. Basically, uh, pretty much an MMA fan. He was his part was based on Fedor Fedor Emelianenko, um, and did a cracking job. Tom Hardy, I think, like, you know, all joking aside, I think he's one of the best actors in the world. So it was quite nice to have him there. And obviously he's got us a lot of press. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very pleased. Did he, uh, did he jump off any ladders? No, no, no ladders. No, he didn't even jump off, didn't even go off the side of a case or a table. So uh, his brother would have been Hardy. No, not really a Hardy. Um, but, you know, did have a cracking beard, I suppose, for what that's worth. <laughs> Yes, that's what it's worth. Oh, well, in fact, yeah. that was what you were telling me about. You told me about this off air. You said about it's the he was the um, him in Peaky Blinders is the inspiration for Mustache Mountain with Trent Seven and those films. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. Uh, Peaky Blinders, I'm sure plenty of listeners will know, is a gangster film set in the interwar years in Birmingham, and Hardy is a London gangster in it, but the guys from Birmingham. Um, are obviously a, a massive, massive influence on on Mustache Mountain, on Trent Seven, um, uh, Tyler Bate, and uh, Pete Dunne, and they are essentially the, the the fashion plate for those guys. And if you're going to copy someone, bloody good, bloody good place to start because those guys are cool as shit. They are indeed, as mate are we. And so it's nice for you. <laughs> it's nice for us to get back uh, back together on on air for nice the first segue. time since um, since something. Never acknowledge the segues. Um, it's nice to be back on air for the first time since uh, since SummerSlam when it's me and you. So we won't go all over SummerSlam because goodness me, by the time people are listening to this, it's it's going to be practically no mercy, which we'll, sure. we'll talk about later on uh, in the show, folks. We won't go into an in-depth um, match-by-match preview. It's not really our style, but we'll talk some um, no mercy later on, and we'll also talk about um, Rob's big idea. I've come up with this uh, new idea, which um, I'm not going to suggest is going to revolutionise the uh, sports entertainment industry, but it's an idea I genuinely want to get across Triple H's table. We'll talk about that uh, also later in the show. Yeah, you better. Paul's... This is one of those things we talk about what we're going to do before we go on air, believe it or not. And uh, Paul actually said, "Do you want to tell me beforehand?" And I said, "No, you're going to find out live." So uh, <laughs> he still doesn't know what the uh, uh, what the idea is. All that's still to come. Um, plus, of course, we want to uh, get onto something that was uh, a big news this week, which is we feel it's important to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, first of all, we wanted to address the fact that we've. Uh, uh, me and you haven't really spoke since SummerSlam, and we had 11, count them, 11 different uh, SummerSlam parties going on all over across the UK. Um, 10 rip-roaring successes, one not so much. It's only it's only right that we uh, we address it. I did mention it briefly last week when you weren't here, but uh, we had a, a few uh, sticky problems in Bournemouth, Paul. Yeah, we did. Um, and if anyone's listening that was affected by that, I just want to repeat the apologies that I've already sent out personally. Um, yeah, the quite a major problem in that the bar did not order the pay-per-view, um, which is pretty shocking. So unfortunately, yes. we were left to disappoint everybody who'd come there. We 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 tried in vain to um, get find ways around it, um, but ba- you know, based on the issues we're having, we just could not get the thing to play. So in all the hundred, you know, we must have done well over a hundred parties. So far, over the uh, over the years, in various venues, and this is fortunately the first time it's happened to us. Hopefully, the last. Yeah, I mean, can't apologise enough. No, most definitely, and you know, listen, I think you're right. We probably have done around about a hundred, and if this is the 
the one issue, then uh, you know, one percent or ninety-nine percent success rate is not bad. But even then, one percent is still too much. So, um, yeah, despite the fact that some of the, uh, in fact, all of the problems were uh, out of our control, um, that doesn't mean we don't uh, apologise and take some um, take some acknowledgement. But uh, we will be looking after the people that, uh, that well, in fact, you've already uh, you've already sorted it. But we are looking after the people that came to the show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone's had an apology, as I was saying. Um, also, a full refund again obviously without even questioning and I've also made sure that anybody that was affected anyone that was there if they so wish um, they can have free tickets to any hooked on parties um, that take place in 2018 as well so if they want to come to all of our events in 2018 absolutely gratis then they're absolutely welcome if they're willing to trust us with their um, pay-per-view experience again which thousands and thousands of people have successfully it's just that those few in that bar were absolutely screwed unfortunately and we want to do our best to make up for that I will, I will say, I don't wish to make light of the wrong kind of thing here, but uh, you, you can probably hear that Paul's a bit husky. He's feeling a bit under the weather. Trust me, about 20 minutes ago when I first called him, he sounded like death warmed up. He's gradually sounding better. <laughs> the more he talks, the more he's sounding better. But there was a point there, because your voice is a bit husky, where you said, we, you know, we're very sorry for all of those affected, as if as if it was bloody Hurricane Irma. <laughs> and actually, it's a few people that didn't watch a pay-per-view in Bournemouth. Now, that doesn't, we're not trivialising the fact that you didn't watch it, you guys. It was Your voice suddenly went into... Uh, very sorry to do uh, all of <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I should line up a little bit sorry guys I'll, right. I'll do my best <laughs> to bring it up it's alright mate it was just a little bit if you've been affected by any of the issues raised on this podcast uh, in fact I should have put that on the end of last week's one when Dean Ayers was on because uh, absolutely if you're not troubled, no question if, if you're not troubled by him then there is something wrong with you that needs a disclaimer indeed uh, he should be uh, the walking disclaimer um, <laughs> Dean Ayers would be better than there uh, than the, the Twisted Genius or indeed Dino Alpha as I uh, too right. christened him too last right. week um, we need to oh in fact before we just move on to uh, to one other thing you've uh, just hinted something to me there off air that um, I wasn't sure about but a uh, bit of a bit of news for an upcoming pay-per-view although we, you're not you, you don't want to be uh, firing all our bullets just now but there could be an announcement in the next couple of weeks regarding a future pay-per-view is that right yeah let's call it um an announcement that there will be an announcement we are working on plans to do something for survivor series um we did it on a very small scale last year and what we'll we'll do the same um this year in that we're going to try our very very best to make it if not a free party then as close as damn it to free as we possibly can um obviously as a big thank you to you guys for supporting us for our main events um, like I say we'll, we'll try and announce something in the next certainly not tonight but in the next week or so if not very very soon after but um, yeah expect to hear from us about Survivor Series and some uh, some free or discounted events there so yeah watch this space um, Paul won't know this um, because of because uh, it's me that records these pay-per-views uh, me that records <laughs> these uh podcast but uh, we lost something on the line a little bit there Paul so not only did your voice go from being a bit husky I also suddenly had an, an urge for some um, mashed potatoes because you sounded like the guys off of the smash adverts but uh, I think <laughs> I think we've got you back I think that was just a, a slight signal there. let's just go with it it's like a signal issue um okay so cool some some uh, possible news to come in the next couple of weeks about uh, Survivor Series um you heard it here well you heard you, heard, you will hear it for here first because frankly you haven't quite heard it yet um, but we will get there. Um, before we go on to uh, any talk about uh, No Mercy, um, or indeed my uh, my big idea, um, I think it's only right that we uh, mention, I've listened to uh, other wrestling podcasts this week that have mentioned it, and I'm sure others will do as we go along, But um, so we're not necessarily the ones that always like to do what everyone else does, but it seems only right to uh, 
have a little bit of a chat about our memories of um, of Bobby the Brain Heen and Paul. Um, obviously, the, the sad news this week that uh, that he passed away. Uh, we, I would suggest, it was not a great shock in the sense that he's been ill for a long time, but still, you can't help but be saddened by that because, as, as people say, it's a it's a little bit of a cliche, but it just feels like um, you know part of your childhood goes. And I know that we do a lot of watching old wrestling, um, especially when we were working with. Bruce Pritchard and you listen to Bruce's old shows and you know they talk about old wrestling pay-per-views and sometimes it's a bit heartbreaking when you go back and you watch a match and you see you know perhaps a tag match with valets and and they're mm. all gone and the, the, now the commentators are going as well and it's just it's a bit it can't help but tug on your heartstrings when you watch great angles from say WrestleMania 7 8 that kind of thing and and we've lost the competitors we've lost Gorilla we've lost Bobby and it's just a bit sad Oh, it's it's terribly sad, and obviously, as wrestling fans, we are unfortunately um, very used to these waking up in the morning and seeing these announcements online um, of our of our heroes taken away from us. Um, they all hurt in one way or another. As wrestling fans, we feel it all, but it goes without saying that some hurt a little bit more than others. And like you said, this Bobby was a, such a massive part of all our childhoods. For me, he was the voice of WWE when I started watching it. You know, when you when when any individual started watching WWE, you might have had Jesse Ventura, you might have had Vince McMahon, you might have had Bobby Heenan, you might have had Jim Ross, you might be even uh, unfortunate enough to have Michael Cole <laughs> as the voice that introduces you to WWE. But for for me and you, unquestionably, that was the brain. And um, you know, he's so you know, such an unbelievably talented guy and. Again, you know, this has been said time and time again this week, and absolutely rightly so. He is the greatest, the greatest wrestling manager of all time. But not only that, he's the greatest commentator as well. And how many guys can say with absolute conviction that they were the best of all time in two completely separate disciplines? It's incredible. That's very fair. I mean, um, I know that uh, I started to write something earlier on, and um, uh, I included the line... Um, arguably the greatest manager of all time and also arguably the greatest commentator or something like that and mm. I realise it's a weird thing to put arguably when I don't think all that many people would argue I mean no, there might be some people no. that would make a case for you know various others but I think certainly if a poll was taken you know not just because you know Bobby's passed away this week but at any point over the last 10 or 15 years and you did any sort of poll greatest manager you'd have some people chat about you know your Jim Cornettes and your Paul Heymans and you know maybe one or two others depending on what era you grew up in you might suggest you know Gary Hart or you know various others but I think you know Bobby's always going to come out number one there um, and in terms of commentators you just mentioned several there and people will have their you know predilections for again Heyman for his short time on commentary or for um, for Jerry Lawler or for Jesse Ventura or for various others um, at various times but there's no one to touch the brain as far as I'm concerned and it was I think it's the the tremendous balance of you know making you laugh but also still being someone that you don't like you know you he had had those brilliant one-liners and maybe we appreciate them more looking back I don't know maybe it was uh, maybe we didn't really realize when we were kids we just didn't like him and now we realize just how comedic he was maybe it's a little bit like watching a uh, like watching Toy Story or one of those kind of Disney movies which is made for kids but has got a little bit of a wink to the adults or The Simpsons or something like that where they Great they know that they're 
doing something for both, you know, for kids and for and for grown-ups, as it were. And I, I think that, um, you know, it, one of it would have passed me by, I'm sure, at the time. But I watched WrestleMania eight not all that long ago, and in suggesting that Bobby Heenan's not watching something properly, Gorilla says to him, uh, or Vince says to him, I forget he's on comms at the time. I think it was Gorilla. It was he Gorilla. Says to him, uh, he says, uh, you ought to go and see an Oculist. And Bobby Heenan says, there's nothing wrong with my feet. And it's just, it's just. I mean, that's the two Ronnies, Morecambe and Wise. It's, it's, it's the old, it's the old sort of style of comedy, isn't it? Just to take a complete, you know, uh, misnomer and take it somewhere. But just that. I mean, I wouldn't have heard. Necess- I wouldn't know what an Oculist was when I was eight. Um, it's not absolutely certain I do now. I'm 33, but it's um, clearly someone that works with your eyes. And, and Bobby said, immediately said, nothing wrong with my feet. So all of those little one-liners over the years, which have uh, tickled us. I'm sure we've all we've all got our favourites and. I think that's the nice thing that you know. I think enough people have said nice things about Bobby um, while he's been around that you know. Hopefully, we, he's he realised that he was loved. Um, you know, it didn't just take uh, someone to pass away for people to start saying it. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, it's really easy for for plaudits to come out when someone dies, when someone passes, and it's great to hear those. But there's been no shortage of, of love given to Bobby Eden over the years. He He's been he, he's been rated the best for so long. It's fantastic. Yeah, you said about how how he's hated, but funny at the same time. I'd say he was he was when you talk about people who you love to hate, Heenan would be you know right in that category. In that you did and don't get me wrong, you despised the guy because he was brilliant at being that bad guy and that. Uh, thorn in the side to all our heroes at the time but my god was he entertaining doing it and he absolutely played up to that stereotype all throughout his career but then he's been a long time retired you know he's not had any commentary or managerial positions since what 2001 so that's 16 years um, that he's been able to soak in the proper and pure adulation that his fans and peers are giving him yeah you know that you could take in terms of professionalism and his professional life you could take complete comfort that Bobby Heenan knew just how much the fans appreciated him and how much he meant to this industry um, over the years. There's, there's absolutely no worries on that score at all. He was the best, and we all made sure he knew that. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. And I think, um, you know, we always talk about legacy, don't we? And, uh, you know, what? how do you influence those going forward? And, you know, there's some, been some interesting chat this week if people have listened to uh, John Cena on the Edging Christian podcast. and there's been some controversy about some of his comments but you know some of the things I liked about what Cena was saying was about it's not just about you doing your own job it's what you can offer going forward and that's what people have always had to do and I think if anyone uh, if anyone is looking to get we talked last week you know with Dean about uh, if you want to get into the wrestling industry there are ways of doing things um, around you know being an announcer being a a manager being a you know a, a all sorts of different roles that you can do within wrestling that aren't necessarily actually getting mm. in there and, and fighting. Um, and if you are interested in that kind of thing and you haven't listened to Bobby Heenan, um, you know, then you're not doing something right. I think um, I think So Calval was on the show a couple of weeks ago and she said something along the lines of, you know, uh, any wrestler you know that's around would look at Bret Hart as being their role model, you know, and would look to Bret and you know see yeah. that as being. You know, a route that you could follow, and I think anyone that's looking to do something along the other way is, if you're not watching and listening and taking in everything that Bobby said, not just because it was funny, but because it was, 
you know, able to point you down a, a certain road towards a certain match, um, towards a certain way of feeling about someone, then then you're not doing things right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in any walk of life, if you're going to pick influencers and mentors, if you've got those available to you, you go to the best. And if you're a wrestling announcer, you go to Bobby Heenan. It's a smart move. If you don't do that, then you're missing a trick. Yeah, of course. And we're not saying just come out and be Heenan. But um, no. you know, but you can use the the timing and the you know the best thing about Bobby is if you go to certain you know matches that he he seemed to know when to be funny and know when to be serious. Like I think it's um I want to say it's I think it's Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper from WrestleMania Eight is where I think I'm thinking of in my mind where this is various different times where Bobby sort of goes this is a, this is a hell of a match. And it's like he doesn't have a dog in the fight because they're both baby faces. And every now and again, I think he digs into Piper about something or digs into Brett about something. But it's not really a place for Heenan. He's because he, he don't want to be slagging both of them off because you're bringing both wrestlers down. But he knows to say, this is a heck of a match. And he almost goes a bit baby face himself. And then I think the, the two guys leave together and he goes, oh, this is pathetic. And you've got heel, heel Bobby back. But knowing I... when to do that is really, really clever. I love that call again that's one of my favourite calls just because he hasn't got that dog in fight and he just obviously he's trying to persuade Piper to go heel he's like hit him hit him Piper hit him hit him give it to me I'll hit him <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant those um, two had a great connection didn't they I mean I think back to you know uh, SummerSlam 91 with, with Piper on commentary and you know, the two of them going backwards and forwards and um, well, you know, calling him booby all night you know bizarrely you know before Bobby passed away even I've actually hit been listening to a lot of his more famous calls recently purely by happenstance so you know the Royal Rumble 92 I've listened to that recently that's considered I think the best commentary performance of all time in oh, yeah. um, 91 and just today I was watching um, one of the 90 from 1996 where uh, the early version of the outsiders invade and Heenan, like, like you, you bring up a really good point about when he knew how to be serious and when he knew how to be comedic. And he has a really great sort of moment where he talks about how he worries for his own safety with his bad neck. And he, if, if Bischoff can't guarantee his personal safety, then he's out. And then he just goes. And that action of Heenan, the way he sells it on camera, does more to get that angle over than any amount of spray painting NWO over the WCW initials or grainy videos or anything really it was absolutely like whoa Heenan's out um, Heenan's being serious and he's, he's running running scared it made it made a big impact I, th- I just think he, he knew exactly how to portray himself at, at any given moment that is not the traditional falling on your back and looking hurt but that is, that is still selling and it is another you know example of selling being the most important thing that you need to learn how to do in the wrestling business because someone can come out and cut the most ingenious brilliant hair raising 8 minute promo but if their op- opponent just comes out and goes yeah okay mate it's immediately completely undercut and i always go back to you know how triple h sold mankind morphing into cactus jack in, in january 2000 as one of the most epic you know, if you if you think about it, one man pretending to be another man, if Triple H had stood there laughing at that, Cactus Jack was dead. But the fact that Triple H sold it as if he'd seen a ghost, 
you suddenly were invested in Cactus Jack maybe coming in and winning this match and those little things and, and Heenan doing that kind of thing that's a sell that's all that is, is is selling something that's happening by showing fear and running away and so you're immediately going oh how tough are these guys then and and what? that's that's exactly what it's, it's supposed to do was it I'm trying to think who it was was there not a moment in WCW was it Pillman someone grabbed Heenan once didn't they in WCW and he told him to F off on the air was that he? I'm yeah. sure that was Heenan. Was it Pillman? Fairly sure it was Pillman, yeah. And it was considered to be huge, wasn't it? It was what? Sorry, say again. I think it was Pillman, and I think it probably Heenan's reaction was a shoot. Th- oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that, that's that's my meaning. Yeah, so I, you know, yeah. believe once that, that someone basically went too far, and he was quite protective of, you know, of, uh, of his injuries and and whatever. So yeah, that was a sort of an interesting well, incident. You're right. Again, oh by the way, I, I watched that. Cactus Jack transformation on a little Facebook page yesterday as well, randomly. Um, we're really hitting all the points here. Anyway, um, Royal Rumble 92, you're exactly right. When Flair comes out at number three, and Heenan just absolutely despairs. No, 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 no. And then he lets it sink in for a little while, just a few beats, and then he's like, you can do this, Rick. You can yeah. do this. So straight away, he sells the fact that it's impossible but he's going to back his man anyway because Ric Flair's the greatest of all time. And just that 30 seconds of Flair walking to the ring, Heenan conveys so much about the situation, the story in a match. And then as it goes through with him veering almost psychotically between cheering Rick on, despairing when he's hanging on for dear life, celebrating when he eliminates someone, and, and cheering for Roddy Piper when him and Flair... <laughs> That's my favourite bit, yeah. Uh, it's not a not a skirt. It's a kill. It's a kill. It's a proud. Oh, you skirt wearing freak! <laughs> yeah, that is absolute. But again, com- comedic genius. You know that is a a line that could go right into you know I don't know Phoenix Knights or The Office or one of the great comedies. But it's also you. But you still you still at that point dislike him, even though it's a funny line. It's that he was able to you know presumably if you follow it, follow it through and you know you dislike the heels. As Ric Flair was billed to be, you know, Heenan was still being obnoxious enough that you would you would dislike Flair, and um, you know that's the art, isn't it, to be able to to walk that line. But yeah, I think almost unanimously, you know, that's considered to be the uh, um, you know the, the great performance, and I think you know that's been talked about for years. It's not taken Bobby Heenan's death for for people to have prompted this, and you know I think sometimes when you think about it, what a good thing the the Hall of Fame is in some ways not that it's any sort of meritocracy and we'll always have this agree, you know, disagreement on this guy should be in and how can this guy not be in but Coco Beware is and all that kind of thing but if you take out that side of thing about who deserves to be in it the very fact that we get to celebrate people especially while they're still with us there are, there's an awful lot of things in all sorts of walks of life where you don't actually say the best things about someone until they're gone and if you happen to have a belief system like mine once they're gone they're gone and they can't hear you talking about them and um i think it's really cool that you know someone like bobby heenan you know okay he was ill at the time but it was several years ago and you know he was able to do a hall of fame speech and make it very very funny very poignant i remember him saying i wish monsoon was here and it was really really you know heart-wrenching but we got to say how great we thought bobby was and he got to have another great moment in front of the wwe universe who cheered him and you know, I know he did some conventions and that kind of thing, even though he was ill over the last few years of his life. And you know, hopefully, he got to realise how much people loved him. And I, I think that's really, really important. It's not. I'm sure there's an awful lot of people that probably don't realise just how popular they are. And then when they go, 
now out come the tributes and it's it's good I think that uh, we were doing these kind of things about Bobby even before you know the sad events of this week yeah you raise a fantastic point because while a, while a guy like Heenan is in the front of his career he is trying to be disliked hated despised so quite naturally especially with the way the business was when he was in his prime he's not going to get that love he's going to you know he'll get the professional satisfaction from getting the heat and getting booed and getting spat on and getting things thrown at him but it's very that is different to being shown how much you're adored by someone and you're right it's great that he got to have those years where he could be retired and bask in that that glow of, of adulation because to a man every wrestling fan I've ever spoken to who's familiar with Bobby Heenan's work just adored him um, and you know he you know not only was he phenomenal every aspect of the business he takes hands to but he really did seem like one of the good guys you know mm-hmm. like you got the impression and obviously I could be wrong and I hope I'm not but you just got the impression that Heenan was a genuine guy who cared about his friends and his family and his fans and I just you know there's not many wrestling deaths that genuinely make me sad you know you expect a lot of them a lot of them you know you you haven't really got a connection with there's a few that really get you in the bread basket as Bobby might have said and um, and this one really took me off earlier in the week it was it really sort of I know you've got you're not particularly a big believer in mourning people you don't know and broadly I agree with you I think we go too far generally but this is one where it really felt like a bit of my childhood had, had passed away. Yeah, I can I can see that. I, my my point is more. Um, I, I think sometimes people I call it conspicuous compassion, and I think some people want to show you how much they're grieving, and it's like it's not about you, mate. It's about the person that's gone, and uh, some people will try and have to they have to grieve the hardest and the most obvious and the most you know widespread and you know that's what annoys me and when it comes we can have a longer conversation about this on our on our f- football podcast that doesn't exist when it comes to minute silences and wearing poppies and all that kind of thing but um you know i, I don't i don't see this hit me massively hard because of the fact that you know bobby's been ill for for many years and I would say we all saw it coming. That seems seems a bit bleak, but you know it wasn't as much of a shock as let's say um, Macho Man, which was the one that in the recent years I can think of that really really hit me sideways. That uh, um, you know that was a, that was a hard one to swallow when uh, when Randy went because it was just um, some people you know we won't mention the names, but you'll be thinking of them who you are that who you're in, thinking in your head who they are, but. You know, some people you hear if you heard about them tomorrow, you go, okay, it's very sad, but you know, frankly, it's not a surprise. Whatever age they are, you know, people that have abused their bodies and, and whatever. Um, but you know, Macho Man was one where you went, whoa, and it was just, um, it was really such a sad set of circumstances, and you know, that that hit me harder, I think, than than, than Heenan. Um, but certainly, um, you know, just it's just just a sad thing all around because Bobby wasn't, you know, wasn't that old. I think maybe the the white hair when we were kids making me. Made us think he was an old man, but he was actually probably only just working off of the uh, the timelines. He was probably only just in his late forties, really, doing all that kind of stuff. It wasn't like he was a an old old fella. And I, the last thing I want to say about Bobby is that um, uh, how influential he was on one of the most important moments in wrestling history. And obviously, WWE will talk about their history in their own favourable terms, and perhaps make it seem a bit more dramatic about just how much the company had invested in WrestleMania 3 
Um, but, you know, there's no Hogan Andre, and there's no massive match of that magnitude without Bobby Heenan. And, you know, Heenan was a, a constant Hogan nemesis, um, and the idea of Heenan making Andre turn to the dark side, and obviously Andre being French was not a huge Anglophone, didn't speak a lot of uh, English, wasn't exactly a good promo, so having the greatest manager of all time by his side, and I can even just picture that... Uh, you know those little rings that they used on the on the um, on the entranceway for those early WrestleManias, and I can just see Andre standing back and looking at Hogan and Brain on the in the corner just with his head on his in his hands and just selling how de- devastated he was. And again, you know I've heard other wrestling pundits talk about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and that just made you look look Heenan Heenan's world had ended at that moment, and that's what you needed to think that the heels had been conquered by the mighty Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania, um, Hulkamania was already going by then but I think that's probably when it sort of started to go into the stratosphere from WrestleMania 3 so I don't think Hulkamania ever got to as high as it would get I don't think that WrestleMania would get to as high as it would get without Bobby Heenan Absolutely on the nail you know I think it's hard for a lot of us who weren't around back then and just how beloved a babyface on the giant was uh, incomparable to anything now not even John Cena who was just a worldwide good guy attraction so the idea of turning him heel it wasn't just a case of him having attacking Hulk Hogan and they, there you go guys do him now um, it was a lot more difficult than that and they gave Bobby Heenan that task because they knew he was up to it um, and obviously he, he was he was up to the task and, he was that. and the box office from Wrestlemania 3 says he, says he did his job with a plum but it's really interesting to think about his influence on you know more broadly on on WWE and the WrestleMania era because obviously the driving force behind that is and was Hulk Hogan um, and what he brought to the table. But you think about it, Bobby Heenan was kind of his long-term nemesis. He was yeah, without doubt. he was kind of like the uh, well, God, you could use any number of kids' TV show and, uh, analogies, but the one that's popping into my head is he's the uh, the Doctor Claw um, to Hulk Hogan's Inspector Gadget. Uh, and he, you know he'd send wave after wave of villain after Hulk Hogan, and get more and more exasperated, and he'd try and get these you know he'd get bigger, badder, scarier villains to go after Hogan, and he could never quite topple him. Um, and when you think about it, you know he was he was such a good tool for that because he legitimised anyone. He could touch them with his magic, with his magic managerial finger, and suddenly they were credible and they were heel and they were a viable foe for Hogan. Without that, if you think about it, they'd have had to individually build up a whole cavalcade of heels, day, week after week, month after month, time after time, keeping guys in rotation, keeping them credible, keeping them hot, to feed to Hogan for years, really until Savage came along and Warrior came along. But Heenan was so good and so despised, he was kind of a shortcut. You had him there in the background the whole time, and it was like, right, we need a new foil of Hogan. Right, Bundy. Ding. Kamala. Ding. Andre. Ooh, okay, ding. Uh, and, it, and it was instant. And it was, it was such, he was such an incredibly important player in, um, in, that, uh, in that early WrestleMania era. And it's very easy to overlook his impact and his importance. It's, I'm, I'm glad that he's finally been recognised for it. Yeah, yeah most definitely. And we'll, we'll move on because we've got... Uh plenty of things to talk about but one of the things we will get to as we said before we want to talk a bit about No Mercy which is the, the pay-per-view coming up this Sunday and we'll, that's the last on our uh, agenda today but when you think about it you know Paul Heyman 
you know, doing the talking for Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman being having, you know, had his run over the last few years with the Paul Heyman guys. You know, when we've seen, you know, Punk and Cesaro and and other people being given the the, the task of being a Paul Heyman guy. Um, you know, that's uh, similar to what you're saying about someone then automatically getting the credibility that um, that Heenan had. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, Curtis Axel being a good example, but um, I think Heyman might be the nearest. You know, current. You know, well, there aren't exactly managers around either these days, but Heyman probably has the nearest credentials. Yeah, you're right. In the modern area, in the modern era, he is the one and only example. But you're right. He had a, he, he did have a similar sort of ethos um, in that he had stable guys that he could just magically make into a big deal just by association. So um, uh, I think that 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 is a, a damn good example. You go back a bit further. Look at a guy you know, the, the, again. The name that springs immediately to my mind is Jimmy Hart. Um, with with the with his Hart's what were they called? They weren't called the Hart family, were they? Um, I can't remember what he called his stable of guys. But the difference between really between him, I'm not sure they really did. They have a name. I'm not sure they really had a name, did they? In WWF, and anyway? that kind of lends to my point because what I was going to say is, whereas Heenan seems to have a lot of consistency with his stable. You know, they might not have always interacted with each other, but they're always really after a com- common goal, and ultimately that was the death of Hulkamania. Whereas Hart had that stable, and at, at times it was easily as big, if not bigger, than Heenan's stable. But it kind of felt like um, a collection of guys that Heenan happened to manage at various points in the card without any real sort of um, end goal. To the point where, if you remember, Jimmy Hart had different, and this is great for him, if he was managing three or four guys on a card, he'd come out in three or four different outfits. The, yeah, yeah, the, but it was a very different ethos and while Hart was great at bringing the heat I'd say he didn't quite have that magic touch and that magic credibility that Heenan had yeah it certainly didn't have the range that, that Heenan had he was a bit of a sort of a two dimensional sort of heel manager I think I, I will say that I think there were, I, can, I can't think of exactly where they were but I can think of backstage promos where you had the nasty boys and, and the Mountie anyway in particular that were sort of um, interacting and celebrating something nefarious, maybe earthquake as well. I'm not sure, but um, I can certainly think of backstage issues where you know they were all Jimmy Hart's guys and they were talking to one another. But um, generally speaking, I think you're right. I think you're right. It was not quite the. Um, it was never the Heenan family, was it? It was never the uh, the same thing. Um, if we're agreed that Bobby Heenan's the greatest manager of all time, um, the greatest male manager of all time, um, for a kind of unconnected reason. Um, you and I had a text conversation during the week, which has led to me saying, "Let's talk about this on the podcast." Um, where you brought up who you think is the um, the greatest female manager of all time, and I certainly have no reason to dispute you. But tell me, remind me why you brought it up in the first place, and uh, why we were about to talk about uh, about someone else. Well, essentially, as I mentioned earlier, I've been watching an awful lot of sort of early nineties, late eighties WWE recently, um, and then I've also been watching a lot of 95, 96 WCW uh, ah that's yeah and it just so happened that a constant through all those through those two different companies in those two different periods was one woman that seemed to stand out to me um, above all others as a, as a phenomenal manager um, and that was Sensational Sherry Queen Sherry Sherry Martel whatever you want to call her um she just popped up all over the place with some fantastic performances um, and you know, really added to all the acts she was with during that point. So that was kind of what prompted me to mention it. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I think we were also having a conversation, weren't we, about the uh, about the lads doing the Because WCW podcast that uh, we also talked about. But yeah, you, you said about having watched Harlem Heat, I think it was. And I guess she was Sister Sherry, wasn't she, when she was with Harlem Heat? But you were... Uh, uh, something that Paul brought up, I don't want to talk over him too much, but um, was, was her range, was the fact that Sensational Sherry, you know, as a name... You know, you think about the Sensational Sherry that was with, with, with Shawn Michaels... You know, that's what lent, lent itself to the kind of the boy toy, um, you know, reference to him because she was sort of the older woman and he was the younger fella. A little bit like the um, the Vicky Guerrero character we'd see years later. Um, but that in the incarnation of Sherry was different to the macho queen Sherry, which was slightly different to the one that was with DiBiase, although not massively. But And then totally different again to what she was like with Harlem Heat was that she was able to, you know, very much change, not change her personality, but amend it enough that you know she had a, a variety to her act yeah absolutely she complimented every act she was clearly very intelligent she'd look at the act obviously and this was way more in depth than I could ever analyse but she knew exactly what to do to feel natural with with those acts um, a good example of something where it was the opposite was you brought Paul Heyman earlier remember when he was with Cesaro um, in 2013 14, 14 maybe um, it should have been an, a perfect combination it should have been match made in heaven we all loved it when it came together but they were just chalk and cheese um, because Heyman just carried on as Brock Lesnar's advocate but with Cesaro in his corner instead um, and it failed miserably because he didn't react to, to the change of circumstances when he became CM Punk manager he changed his persona completely he became the man stood in the background smirking and holding up the title belt and that was probably as valuable but very different and that's funny isn't it because you know you look at someone like Punk and you would say Punk doesn't need a mouthpiece and of course that's not what Heyman was you're talking about him being in the background about a bit more but you know augmenting the act the fact that in WWF terms who have we just been talking about Bobby Heenan being in the, you know, on, the, on the side of Ric Flair if there was anyone that didn't need a, a mouthpiece, you know, it's Ric Flair, one of the greatest talkers ever. But if you think about it, Flair always had the horseman. He had J.J. Dillon. And then he had Bobby. And it's like, Flair pretty much had a manager throughout his career. Or at least had a, you know, a unit behind him that, you know, could either take some punishment or could interfere or, or some such thing. And, you know... You would never say that Flair needs a mouthpiece, but that's just the era that he wrestled in, where heels had managers. Oh, man, yeah, heels had managers, but it's but it worked, didn't it? It was the pairings that worked, and it was the fact that Heenan and, and Flair, and indeed Perfect, when in that little triumvirate, you know, it felt like a good unit, and it felt like it worked. And I think that's partly what these you know these things come down to. And as I remember a few years ago thinking that when they put because I was convinced at one stage by the way when they did the whole legacy thing I was convinced that Ted DiBiase Jr. was going to was going to really make it I thought he was going to be a star mm. um, looking back I'm not sure why I felt that because he doesn't exactly ooze charisma but um, I really thought they were going to make something of him and when they put him with Maurice you know I thought they were onto something there because I've always liked Maurice and I've always thought she had something and it just didn't work it was just there was absolutely zero chemistry it didn't feel real you know, it felt very tacked on, very similar to I would say when you know Stacy Keebler was with Test, and you just sort of thought this isn't right. It just doesn't work. And I think Tori and Carlito is another one I think of. And it's just you can't just put random woman with random fella and hope it works. And every now and again it does, and you almost don't know why. 
Yeah, and I think it's right. And I think it's chemistry is the key word, mate. You hit the nail on the head. Sherry manufactured or had that chemistry with every single act she was with in a different way. Whereas the lesser managers, they might strike lightning in a bottle once or twice. Christ, even someone like Armando Estrada was a cracking manager for Umaga. Um, it, it works. It works. It works as a pairing. But guys like Sherry, guys like Heenan, um, to a certain extent, Jimmy Hart and Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette just were able to be chameleon-like in their personality and just morph to what their guy needed. And that sets the good from the great, in my opinion. Yeah, because you, you said something to me on a text about um, about Sherry being the greatest female ever. And I, I don't think you challenged me to come up with any others, but I was basically throwing some in as, as being devil. Because I agree with you. I, don't, I, I can't think of anyone that goes above Sherry. But I threw in Miss Elizabeth because I said, you know, there was she was so perfect at that role. Um, you know, whether she was trying to be or not, but her role alongside Savage from its early days to, you know, when she was kind of subservient to him when he was a heel to when, you know, she, she was cast aside for a couple of years to when she came back. All of the time, it, it worked so perfectly and she was effortless because... You know, she, not, she was beautiful, but she wasn't beautiful in a, you know, a sort of stunning, you know, Trish Stratus, Terry Runnels sort of way. But she was that sort of wholesome, you know, you wanted to marry Liz rather than, you know, just, sure. you know, get down. And it was, and it was, I think she worked so perfectly. But you brought up the fact that that was one act and that's all she was able to do. And then later on in, you know, WCW when she was having to be with the NWO and with Luger and it... It didn't really work, and it, you know that that the act only went so far. And you know, there's a few others that are a bit like that. They have they have one thing that they can do, but if you try and bring them out of the comfort zone, it it doesn't necessarily always work. And but you, you brought up um you brought up Lana, didn't you, as a, as a modern day one that you felt had a bit more about her? Yeah, I think Lana was like what we were talking about then was the difference between ballets and managers. And yes, of course, yeah. Sorry, I plenty of ballets. Um, like you know, the aforementioned Stacey Keever and Tori Wilson um, but Lana feels like a, a true manager or she did to Rusev and actually does now to um, Tamina so I think Lana potentially could be if she maybe softens that Russian act a little bit could be sort of the modern day Sherry she could if she's willing and able to morph what she's doing to fit her clients which so far she's proven she can do she's two for two um, I know it's early days with Tamina, but she she could be up there. Um, with Liz, it's funny, again, going back to the Nitros I was watching earlier, she was so good with Savage because it was real. There was no acting involved. She loved him. He loved her. It was real. But then you look at her work on Nitro in 95, 96, when she was valet for the Flair and the Horseman, she literally looks lost. You look at her face yeah. and she, like, in more than just fleeting moments, 90% of the time, She's got an expression on her face which doesn't actually know what she's doing. Um, she's just stood there sort of smiling blankly. And I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead, but it just proves that she wasn't really a natural at it. Whereas Sherry was not attractive in that same way. She was sexy and you know had a, something about her, but she was involved and she was a character. Um, and she was great. And we, we asked this question actually, didn't we, Rob, on the, um, on the Facebook page. And it was interesting that the majority of people agreed with us and said Sensational Sherry, but there were a few other picks. Do you want to go through them or shall I have a quick look? No, yeah, well, you can kick us off in a minute. I just want to bring up um, 
something you said about um, the difference between a, a valet and a manager was that I think a good example in the mid 90s um, would be an example between the difference in Sonny and Sable, who were clearly the two, you know, the big stars of the 90s when it came to the uh, the females um, and how WWE would change its entire approach with its um, its raunchiness. I suppose you could throw Terry in there as well as being Marlena at the time. But to me, Sable was absolutely a valet. I mean, to the nth degree was a valet because that's how she debuted with with Mar- um, with um, with Triple H or Hunter Hearst Helms as he was then, and then of course went with with her real life. Bo Mark Merrow, but you know she never did much more than bang on the ring and say "Come on, Mark." Whereas Sonny was really, really portrayed as a, a clever, devious manager that was, you know, with Skip and then dropped him like a bad habit and then engineered getting the the tag titles onto the, the smoking guns and that. In and, and they even think about the fact that, you know, aside from the, you know, fairly ludicrous blue Spartacus outfit. You know, they thought something of Ron Simmons when they bought Ron Simmons in, uh, as Farouk. You know, he came in as a as a top guy, and they put him with they put him with Sonny. And I'm not saying it worked, and I'm not saying it was was it his fault? Was it the gimmick's fault? Was it Sonny's fault? It's the entire presentation, and it just didn't work. And obviously, once the nation thing started, you know, he settled into something that was a lot more um, suited. But you know, think about that. Think about when they tried to repackage the Legion of Doom. They put them with Sonny. And it's that, you know, they thought a great deal of her. And I think it's only really her own, as WWE always call it, demons, um, that let her down, really. Because, you know, she had a lot of talent and they believed a lot in her. But as a, as that role, she was a manager and she was portrayed as being a very successful one, not just, you know, the pretty little thing on the corner. Absolutely right. And it's funny, you know, you pick the right pairing to make that contrast, definitely. Um, but I would, I would go a little bit further and I'd say Sonny with a lot of those acts you mentioned all the early tag teams group etc she was a manager you immediately put her with the LOD 2000 she was a valet for them she changed the role completely she was nothing more than eye candy and it failed miserably yeah it, did, it didn't work although their act was um, right, crap you know, it was that was just falling by the wayside by that point wasn't it because um, because of you know all the things that were going on with Hawk and it was just they'd, they'd gone to that one you know, way, way, way too many times. Well, it's better, um, better than a mannequin, eh? I suppose so. I suppose so. Um, should we go to the um, the comments as you mentioned? Um, we put on um, on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash ho wrestling, and we put a re- reference to uh, to Bobby Heenan, um, and then said, "Who is the best female manager in that time period?" And as Paul said, um, "Sensational Sherry in a, a variety." Um, of incarnations was uh, was mentioned. Some people didn't read the question because we asked who was the best female manager of all time, and someone said Paul Bearer, and sometimes someone said Paul Heyman. But um, uh, generally speaking, um, you know, we had a, a consensus of opinion that, that Sherry came up. But um, someone that's worth bringing up is that uh, Carl Houghton um, said uh, said Tristratus, and um, further in his point said she made it feel like she was actually managing. TNA, Sherry Martel was good, but felt more like a valet than a manager. So Trish carried her role across so well. So Carl would disagree with us slightly and say that uh, Trish was more of a manager. Um, I would put that in between um, Sherry and, and Sonny. I would say that the way that they brought in Trish was, you know, clearly as a manager because she was sort of stood on the end of the um, the aisleway scouting talent, and eventually she she plucked Teston out. But I would suggest that. It's difficult to assess Trish because her legacy now is as a very, very good wrestler because they made her into one and she obviously trained and worked very hard to get there. 
um, they liked her in a, in a prominent role because within a year of being in the company, she was, you know, doing the whole thing with Vince and Stephanie and and that sort of thing. So it's quite difficult to assess Trish overall because, quite frankly, the T and A thing is a one-note joke. Um, you know, about them being Test and Albert. Did they literally get put together because they needed someone to fit the letters? You know, it's it's not really anything she's going to be massively remembered for, even though it was what she was first brought in with. Um, I would have found it interesting to see what it would be like to have had Trish with a big star for a, a sustained amount of time. Well, it's. I would say, I would agree with Carl that Trish was a manager and you said the same. She was obviously prominently with TNA, TNA. But you remember she also had that relatively decent stint with Val Venus as well. Where she, to the point where she took him from that porn star gimmick and he I think he cut his hair at that point, if not shortly after, changed to plain white trunks and became a completely different character. And it was definitely a manager client relationship with those two. And I many disagreed. I really liked it. I really liked that pairing. I thought it was cool. I thought it was Modern. I thought it could have done a lot for getting Val to the main event. I thought it was going to at the time. It didn't. But yeah, she's got such, such a short amount of time in that role because by the time she was doing the stuff with Vince, which was what, like late 2000, early 2001, that was it as far as a manager being a manager concerned. Oh, apart from that short stint she did with Christian after WrestleMania 20, which yeah, yeah that, more that, as a partner, really, I suppose. Well, that was sort of... The, that was really only the turn wasn't it the, the turn on the, the the conclusion to the angle was the was the bit and then they, they carried it on for a short while but I, I forget why they stopped it but it just it just faded off really didn't it they i think they'd written the story up until the point where she turned on jericho and and hadn't really thought about it any further on um just a couple more that have been uh that mentioned on the um on the facebook page aaron colgate um also said sensational sherry but wanted to make an honorary mention to miss elizabeth for her original run he says the first lady of wrestling has never been attempted properly since she didn't do much but it just worked and was the perfect match for the macho man which is um an excellent point um stephanie o'connor um also talked about sensational sherry uh, as did craig semple so there was plenty of other people that were um uh, for pushing for for sherry as being the one mainly agreeing with your original um original post paul um but uh Hayley down here, Hayley Rebecca on uh, on Facebook mentioned someone that I'm fairly certain was involved um, with Trish and Val, um, as I recall. Let's see if I got my timelines right. But am I right in saying Trish and Val had a had a thing going with uh, with China? Yeah, they had that SummerSlam 2000 match. I think it was where it was Trish and Val against Eddie and China with the Intercontinental Title on the line. Yep. So that's um. Uh, it's one I want to bring up because when we, when you and I were having a conversation yesterday, or a couple of days ago, I said, "Where does China fit into this?" You know, I, I never think of China as a manager necessarily. Was she a bodyguard? Was she a teammate? Was she, you know, I don't know what she was, but um, I think China, you know, if when you we're talking about, you know, Heenan being a small part or a large part of the uh, the Hogan and Andre thing. Um, Triple H, whatever you may think about him, whatever you assess him as, you know, as a family member, as a wrestler, as an executive, um, Triple H is one of the most important people in the wrestling business over the last 20 years, um, for whatever reason. And I would say his career took off when he was with China. Um, the pompous blue blood character could only go so far. They tried to give him that bit of an edge, but they put him with someone like Curtis Hughes as his um, as his backup. It wasn't really working for Triple H. That was a mid-card gimmick forever. 
and it was only really when China appeared you started to get some more serious stuff out of Hunter then of course the um, the hookup with Sean and you got DX and, and you're off but I'm not sure any of that would have um, would have really flown without China she was important to DX people always talk about Sean and Hunter but she was very important in all that as being a you know and she was never the um, obviously the the lady figure she was you know she was China and I used to rather like the the fact that her theme music said don't treat me like a woman don't treat me like a man because she really did you know kind of <laughs> if you pardon the expression straddle you know those two um those two definitions because she she did carve out her own her own niche and I think she is in the conversation for me when we're talking about the most important female seconds let's say uh, rather than saying about manager bodyguard valet but if we just call them a second you know I think she's very 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 important to Hunter's career and, and should be in the conversation I would agree it's hard to classify but if you speak to anybody who was involved in those early um, versions of DX, and I think I've heard all, all of them in interviews at one point or another just stressing how important she was to the package because she was almost that, I was going to say straight man, she was a straight woman to the antics of, of Hunter and, and Shawn Michaels, and it anchored everything they did. Um, and she was also the guy, you know, intimidating for. You know, as for a physical presence as well. If if Shawn Michaels and Triple H didn't get you, then bloody hell China would. So she was a bit of a double threat. And yeah, I think she, you know, whilst she went off the rails a little bit later, I think you can't stress enough how important she was to that whole act. And like you say, Triple H went absolutely nowhere until she came along when he was from Tersley. They tried him on his own, they tried him with Mr. Hughes. China comes along, boom, within, he, within six months, he's king of the ring, I think. Um, so I think you, you, you're on the money there, mate. She's a good, she's a good shout, but she's no sherry. No, agreed. I just one more I want to throw in, and it's by no means an, an all-time great, but it is worth remembering that Raw had a real spike in ratings and a spike in interest for a two or three-month period a few years ago, and it was almost entirely down to AJ Lee. And now that seems a strange thing to say. People have forgotten about this little section. But that that whole point where you had AJ and Daniel Bryan as a thing, and then with Kane, and with CM Punk, and when she was kind of a sort of floating around all of them, just before she went sort of full-time with Ziggler, um, she was an absolute megastar for a short period of time, to the point where they hot-shotted her into the general manager of Raw. Do you remember that? And it's... Yeah she was a huge star for a short time and it was just I've always had this th theory of you know this might be a bit unkind um, to, you know to wrestling fans of which of course I am one and so I, I'm including myself in this to an extent but um, I've always thought there were some uh, acts that get over better with wrestling fans because wrestling fans some of them are realistic enough to think that's about as well as they can do and so they'd look at a Sonny and a Sable and a Terry and a Trish and go, so out of my league, it's unbelievable. But they kind of think they might have a chance with AJ Lee. And I would put another one into that sort of category, because I've never been a huge fan necessarily of her, uh, of her act and even her wrestling, although I've subsequently met her and she's a lovely person. But, but Lita it was someone I never really got. But I do think there's a sort of an alternative... You know, image about Lita and I'm not saying for a second she's not an attractive woman because she is but she had that sort of different grungy look about her that I think there were some wrestling fans that went oh, I think I could pull a Lita 
You know, and I'm, that, quite frankly, is what women have been there for over the years, folks. I'm sorry to burst any bubbles about this. I'm not trying to be anti-feminist about it, but the main reason why valets have been there have been for the for the uh, the sexual eye candy to the male, predominantly male audience. But AJ managed to do a completely different thing, which was to still have that, but to also have the real. You know, she had the power. It was a very different sort of portrayal, and I think it really worked for a short time because I could understand why both male and female fans would be intrigued by this character because she was extremely powerful. Yeah, I, I would never have thought of AJ. Um, I think it's, she had that. She burned like Riley did. She was the focal point of a lot of theory, of a lot of important storylines. She, she when we. I'd say I'm not sure, so sure she'd be considered hugely attainable, but she was definitely relatable. She, she wasn't walking around in high heels and bikinis. She was walking around in Converse high tops and denim shorts, and she was a, a self-professed gamer, which made them one of one of us. Made her one of us right from the off. So I think she had that guy. She was the first woman I think to tap into that geek culture since Lita. Um, one other I'd throw into the mix would be, and again, not in the upper echelon, but worth mentioning, Vicky Guerrero. Yeah, of course. Um, Vicky Guerrero um, was, you know, really helped with the Edge Act. Did a lot, just generally as a as a as an entertaining manager in her own right. Um, Edge, in fact, thinking about it, Edge, really benefited from a couple of managers there, didn't he? He really like you know we didn't mention Lita's stint with with Edge, which no. definitely a manager rather than a valet, and and hugely important to making him a main eventer. So he's benefited from two modern female managers that work wonders with him, and he'd probably been one that would have been with Sherry if their paths had crossed back in the day. You certainly could see that, couldn't you? But um, yeah, um, I think um, you know Vicky, you know Vicky and Edge. You know, I think is a similar sort of uh, a similar sort of relationship to um, to Shawn Michaels and and and, and Sherry. Um, I think there's certainly some comparison points there. I think one of the problems with um, the Vicky Guerrero stint, and it's by no means her fault, it's the portrayal. Was I always it always left a bad taste in my mouth that she was rather bullied by baby faces for being ugly and overweight. And I thought, well, you know, she's by no means a Victoria's Secrets model, but I don't think she was particularly hideous, and while she was a bit chunky for a while, she lost some, she lost some weight and got into good shape. And this is America, for goodness sake, so it's not like a, you know, she'd be in the, the top one percent there. And I just felt it was a little bit mean and nasty and horrible of the portrayal of her. Um, they didn't do enough of saying she's a horrible person, as opposed to she's fat and ugly. And when you had Cena, I think it was Cena and Lawler one day, one day doing a sort of back and forth and, you know, ripping the hell out of her. And I just thought, well, who's the heels here? You know, when it was just, it was needless. And I, I, I've always had that issue whenever I look at old Vicky stuff is that they're mostly going, <laughs> look at her, fat and ugly. And I just think, I don't think fat and ugly equals heel. I think horrible person equals heel. Well, it might just be me. But um, uh, that's sort of always soured it for me. But by, by no means her fault. You know, she was thrown in, you know, to the deep end. I think that for, for you know, a rare occasion, it was someone getting a job for someone else being nice. I'm sure, you know, if she'd have rocked up off the street, you know, she'd have never got a job. It was just the fact that she was, you know, Eddie's widow, and I think WWE were trying to do a nice thing by her. And it turned out she had an immense amount of talent, and, and she stayed there on the, on her own merit for many years. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I'm almost up there. Sorry. Cool. Anyone else you want to uh, 
throw into the mix because I think it might be time for Rob's big idea. Right, you're looking forward to this, aren't you? Paul and I genuinely haven't uh, discussed this. Just before we came on air, Paul went, are you going to tell me? And I went, nope. You're going to hear it for the first time. Right, I want to preface this by saying this is not a um, an absolute rock your world, this is how to book someone into a WrestleMania main event, knock them dead sort of angle. I'm not going to try and work out the best way of getting CM Punk versus Daniel Bryan versus Shawn Michaels in the main event of WrestleMania. Um... I'm not going to change the industry. I'm not going to tell you how TNA or GFW or ROH or who anyone is going to become the new number one. It's not about anything like that. But we've seen the Dusty Classic, where we have the sort of the tag teams put together and uh, used as an angle on NXT. We've had the Cruiserweight Classic, which I think most would agree was a, a huge success for what it was. Um, we've had the WWE UK Tournament. Uh, which was a similar sort of thing to the cruiserweight thing in in a, in a sense because it was uh, introducing new people to a different audience, and now we've got the um, the May Young Classic going on, which is uh, sorting something for the um, the female wrestler. Um, I'm saying that the next classic, I think you could do another classic, maybe early next year. I'm going to call it, and I don't think they would go with this because of uh, certain history moments and, and maybe it's not even the right appropriate thing anyway but I'm going to call it the Randy and Liz classic my idea essentially is when you run another one of those tournaments it would be a joint male and female pairs tournament and it would be done along the lines of the uh, what you call, what's the tennis tournament the Davis Cup so the idea would be that you would have the man versus the man the woman versus the woman and then if it's a draw, if it's 1-1, then you have an intergender match, or a mixed tag, I should say, um, as the rubber match, and then the winners go through to the next round. I think that would be a really entertaining series of shows um, that you could do just as, as a network um, special. But most importantly, you could have so much fun in who you put into that. Now, there are obviously some people that automatically spring to mind. Miz and Maurice would presumably just go straight into it. Maria and Mike Bennett, in they go. Lana and Rusev, you know, no-brainer. Certain ones like that would go in automatically. I'll hold back on Cena and, and Nikki Bella because it's one of those ones where, you know, just having them go in it and win it would be a little bit easy. Um, so I might not have them in it necessarily, but you could go with some of the people that are in Total Divas. You know, if... if, if um, uh, if Tyson Kidd was anywhere near back to getting fit, what a great way of reintroducing him alongside um, Natalia. If you're still going to do something with Carmella and Ellsworth, they can possibly be in it. You've got Naomi, um, who is with uh, one of the um, the Usos in real life. In they go. So we, we're putting plenty in nice and easily. There are so many automatic relationships that they work. But here's what I'm, I would be most excited about. What good TV you could have for several weeks as you tried to work out who was going with who. Could you imagine various different wrestlers trying to get Asuka's attention because they wanted to be partners with Asuka in this kind of tournament and then eventually she picks someone and that's really excited to see who Asuka's with and they become automatic favourites you would think. I would love to see Kevin Owens as a nasty heel paired up with someone like um, a Sasha Banks where you've got a baby face and a heel, but somehow they have great chemistry and they get all the way through to the final, or, to, or they, maybe they even win it. And as soon as it's done, maybe you know she's starting to you know, see a sensitive side in Kevin Owens, and he just drops her like a bad habit and reinforces himself as a heel. I'm seeing all of these sort of different combinations. There's a, there's an angle that they've done on TNA with Grado, where Grado's had to find himself 
um, a wife to stay in the uh, to stay in the U.S. Maybe you've got a Grado-like character that someone that's you know is a bit of a loser and keeps getting turned down and keeps getting turned down, and then he gets a you know a glamorous partner and they go a long way in the tournament. What about putting Finn Balor and Bailey back together, which was such a cool um, sort of off-screen gimmick almost in NXT um, when you had those sort of viral videos that were going around at the end of NXT shows and that was great fun and they seemed to have it. I think there's so many places you can take this. You can introduce new characters, you can introduce new couples. You could just have the fun, the kind of um, the going to the prom aspect of people trying to find themselves a partner and asking... It could help other people's career that they're not necessarily doing anything. I just think there's so many places you can take this to make it uh, an interesting event on its own, um, a good way of introducing various different people, a good way of carrying on some already existing um, programs, a way of bringing total divas into the equation, and you know, just generally speaking, having some great fun on on TV. Maybe I've bigged this up too much as a, a massive big idea, but I just can see that as being such a really, really cool way of spending a couple of months and having so many different strands and so many people that you can uh, you can use. And what I would like about it was it would be across all the brands. Is that it's very cool having these cruiserweight classics and stuff. But what's happened with the cruiserweight division is it's become a little bit of a side issue. 205 Live, and then they have a match or two on Raw, but it's still really oh, they're over there. We'll see what happens with the May Young Classic, how how those women get on. But it still feels like, you know, and the WWE UK tournament feels like a bit of a, you know, a side section of of NXT rather than being anything else. This to me would feel like a whole brand. It would be Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and beyond. Um, and if you wanted to have, you know, a couple of women that were out there that you haven't introduced necessarily through the May Young Classic, or you want to give them some more exposure going forward, you can just you know forward them into this. Um, I think it's uh, it's something that could be very, very effective. I've probably talked about it long enough now. I don't know whether the silence and uh, not having you agree, it means that um, uh, you're either listening intently or the line has dropped and I've been talking for six minutes and not noticed. Um, but uh, over to you, Paul, for your um, either chilling pull-down of uh, my idea or your um, pat on the back, Rob, you're a genius moment. Oh, well, I've been listening intently, first of all. One the one. Uh, neglect to mention an obvious one would be uh, Johnny and Candice Wrestling Johnny Gagano and Candice LeRae okay I don't I didn't know that I didn't know they were uh, I didn't know they didn't know, didn't know they were an item but yeah perfect that, that, that fits yeah hey listen if they could if they could get free from whatever contracts they're in I'd like to see Bubba Ray Dudley and Velvet Sky in there do you know what I mean it's a, one of your problems actually would be that a lot of people wouldn't want to come into it and get beat because obviously you're going to you're going to be doing this as a if you were able to get 16 pairs, you know I think 32 seems like it's pushing it. But if you're going to get 16 pairs, you know eight people have got to lose quite quickly. Um, I'd love to see if you're going to do it. I'd love to have Cena and Nikki Bella go in and get beat straight away. That would be a, the, the fun thing. To you just wouldn't be expecting them to lose in the first round, or they've got to go to the final and then lose the final to someone else that you're trying to get over. But anyway, back to you. No, I yeah, I'll be honest when that when you first. Um, pitch the idea when you're in your first couple of minutes I was like is that it is that the big idea well actually I really like it I think like what sells it to me what you're talking about all the different possible combinations and the different fun you can have and how you could bring so much out of the different characters just by having them interact in a different way um, and it could have you know it could lead to some really fun interesting pairings that were just for the tournament 
you know, just for one round, or it could lead to some that became permanent fixtures on screen. Um, yeah, I, 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 like I say, I, I don't think you, you said this yourself at the start of it. It's not going to reinvent the wheel. Um, no, no, it's not meant I to. I think I think it'd be a really fun tournament. So, just to confirm, by the way, it's um, how do you spell Levesque? As in, as in Triple H's surname. I think you pronounce it Levesque, do you not? You, you put an S in it that's not said. Well, you're having Triple H and Steph win Paul it. Paul.Levesque at www.report.com. That's the one, isn't it? Oh, I see. I see you're trying to get the... Uh, <laughs> your, oh, no, don't you dare send the email before me. Just because we had email shenanigans two weeks ago with us trying to stitch you <laughs> up with the Paul at email address. Uh, he's probably that, and he's probably just Paul at www.com. I bet he'll get through to him. Trips, trips at. I'll send it on to Dave Bradley. He's his right hand man. He can, uh, he can forward it to him. Well, listen, I'm going to put this out as a as a long, um, well thought out piece, and I'm going to send it to Dave, and then he can pass it on if he wants to. And then uh, <laughs> I'm not asking for, I'm not asking for much. I don't want to be on the writing team. I'm just. Uh, Happy for a few, um, for a little bit of acknowledgement and some tickets here and there, and just a couple of million quid. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Rob McNichol Classic. I, no, I, don't, I don't think it ought to be named just after me. Ah. Um, but uh, the hooked, uh, hooked on classic. I'll, I'll be, a, I'll be a company, hey. and we can call it the uh, the hooked on if, classic. If I might chuck an idea in as well, it's something I was thinking about just the other day as an idea for another classic. And again, probably won't fly, but I'd quite like to see it personally. I mean, no, but before you before you do before you do, I thought you might tear me apart a bit. More. I was expecting to have to fight my corner. I thought you were going to have some problems. You go, yeah, but what about this? Because I've got so I've got like responses prepared. Well, not prepared, but I've got some idea. I was expecting you to. I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit cast aside by the fact that you you agree with me so much. I thought you'd be able to. Uh, I thought you'd be a bit negative on it. So I'm I'm pleased that you're uh, so positive. But I've sort of built myself up for a fight no, here. I really like it because I think it's obviously in this day and age when you've got the ability to have these standalone shows on the network it would be a standalone but the build up to it could like you say have sort of nice little side projects on Raw and Smackdown NXT and whatever else so no, I think it's cool and uh, you just mentioned it I something that not crossed my mind but yeah clearly the winners would be Triple H and Stephanie <laughs> yeah, I mean that could be. I could. I don't know if we include that in the pitch or not. But um, but no. But listen. Hey, what if Triple H? What if Triple H entered it with another woman and they won it? And you could do. You could even do an angle of Steph being jealous. There's that. There's that to it as well. Triple H and Ronda Rousey win the uh, the Randy and Liz Classic. Um, but uh, what about you know? Even just I would like there to be sort of like some fun. You could have some fun one-offs. Like I'm not saying that WWE would necessarily go for this, but. Imagine if Bray Wyatt wanted to enter it, and it's like, who's out there that could possibly be, you know, mad enough to go with Bray Wyatt? And then you get the one night only return of Daphne. Do you know what I mean? Like Daphne and Bray would just be a really cool pairing for one night only. It'd just be really, really strange. Or, or you know, you know, if you know, obviously she's not with us anymore, but but someone like Luna, you'd love to see with Bray, wouldn't you, for one night? Though, you know, someone that. Um, could just come back, but you could, you know, I don't know if Lita's got a match in her, or I don't know if um, you know, if Trish is interested in these kind of things. But some people that have been inactive to come back for it would be a cool, um, you know, be a cool thing just to come in and wrestle one match and lose it, and you know, that's just the way it goes. But um, Paige and Alberto, maybe. Hey, listen, what about what about it being the way if you wanted to bring him in of introducing Nick Aldis to the WWE teaming with Mickey James? You know, there's there's all sorts of ways you could take this. Yeah. 
Hooray! Okay, your your turn. Your turn then. I feel I partly want to say hang on for the next podcast, but I'm intrigued to what you want to say. So There's let's no do. No point it. because mine's nowhere near as in depth or as thought out. But I quite like the veterans classic. Oh, okay. Yeah, le- legends, le- legends yeah. classic. Yeah. So not necessarily legends in like you know you remember the Gibbet Battle Royal where they could barely move, but an, you know a, a, a bunch of guys that were previously in WWE. They were trying to get another shot and fighting for a fighting to come back a bit, uh, like a redemption, uh, you know, the redemption classic, whatever you would. So you could have, oh, I like that. Carlito, Chris Masters, John Morrison. You go back a bit further, you know, if Jim Duggan's still wrestling. Uh, <laughs> you know, guys like this, you could have guys from all sorts of different eras who are still active on the independent scene, but obviously not as good as they once were, but all had their time in WWE. And are all fighting for a for a chance to come back. You know, you just look at how deep the independent scene is with X WWE guys now, Cody Rhodes, um, people like that. You could have them all fighting for this one contract to get back into WWE. Uh, my immediate issue with that is something I like. Broadly speaking, I like it. My immediate issue with it would be something that um, I'm sort of channeling our friend Bruce Pritchard here is that that's a really really cool idea uh, until the bell rings yeah and there'd be an almost by almost by its definition the people that aren't in WWE anymore are there because you know they're not good enough anymore you know unless you had the odd you know the odd one that you know like you say Cody has gone on to do great things and Cody is you know still talented enough but you know I liked Morrison and I thought they could have done way more with Morrison but there's no way he'll be as good as he used to be and, and ditto Carlito and you know various others do you know do you, do you know who would have been perfect for that it's too late who would have been perfect for that was Drew McIntyre <laughs> yeah. you know, well, if you could if you could, if you could hold back his comeback he would be the perfect person to come into that and win what it about, um, well, all I will say to that is my argument would be who would have thought Tajiri would have been as good as he was when he came back into the Cruiserweight Classic uh, there is that, and I suppose you've got Kendrick is still knocking around, isn't he? So, um, you know, he's still there and doing quite well for himself. There's no, there's, a, there's numerous guys from that sort of mid 2000s period. Like you say, you know, you could have a couple of much older ones in there just for just for shits and giggles. And obviously, you didn't have yeah. a match quality, but hell, the May Young Classic in the first round wasn't exactly five star, was it? Um, a lot of it would be just establishing character. But then when you get to the quarterfinals and beyond, you know, you'd make sure you got the cream of the crop in there. Charlie Hatt, Shelton Benjamin, Sean... Well, well, ben, well, Benjamin is back. You can't have Benjamin because he is back. But uh, um, there, yeah, there are people, I suppose Rhino came back, did he? He would have been a good um, good equivalent for it um, if he was still out of action. Um, I tell you who would be perfect. Someone that the uh, the listeners are going to think that we've completely forgotten, but we will get there, folks. It's just a, a case of timing on the other end of the line. But we still have to do a best of times and worst of times about points to shoulders, Rob Van Damme. And RVD would be perfect in that tournament you're talking about. Not to win, but just to come back and put someone over. Just Because I don't think RVD wants to come back, but if it's a 32-man tournament, RVD gets down to the last eight and puts someone over. That's a, that's a perfectly respectable thing to do. Tommy Dreamer, Bully Ray. Well, don't start me with Tommy Dreamer. But, uh, but yeah, but Bubba Ray, definitely. Especially, um, I, you know, if you're a WWE watcher only... And you didn't see Bully Ray in TNA, you missed something. He was so good. He was as good a heel as it was in the wrestling business for a year or two. Um, the 
he was the only person that was anywhere near credible in the Aces and Eights game. I loved the Aces and Eights idea, except for the fact that it had no talent in it whatsoever. But uh, until um, Bully Ray and to a lesser extent Mr. Kennedy were in it. But uh, he's won. What about Ken Anderson? Oh, I'll tell you who would be good. And I don't know how into this aspect of wrestling you are. Do you remember CJ Parker from uh, NXT? <laughs> I remember CJ Parker from Bay. Uh, I, I think that was, was uh, anyway. Pam. <laughs> yes, I do. He was he was a sort of um, he was a sort of vegan guy, wasn't he? Or the um, the the, sort of the the peace and love. Yeah. Not a hippie guy, but the sort of yeah that guy. I don't know how aware of New Japan you are, but he's gone on to New Japan to be known as Juice Robinson, who is now an extremely good and extremely credible wrestler. He could come back as someone who looked like a first round scrub who could just blow away the competition and work his way through to a really good spot, potentially becoming a star. He'd be fantastic. Well, that would depend on if they were going to sign him and, and push him that way, because you know we're talking we're talking a lot of people here that would come in for a, you know a two night gig. Definitely. You know if he's doing if, if he's doing well in Ring of and in New Japan, they're not going to let him come back and just 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 work a couple of nights. No, no, no. So that would be him coming in permanently. You would need to be signing him permanently. The, well, if the gimmick is that the winner of the tournament gets a contract, then somebody has to. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, and it's one of those ones that I would think, yeah, the winner of the tournament gets a contract, but you're almost certainly going to hire two or three other people, aren't you? Because you're going to realise that they're in good shape, and you know, instinctively, you go, okay, they did okay. We can um, we can give them something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not fam- I'm not really familiar with. Uh, with his work out there, but um, I'm sure that um, you know those kind of things could be explored. I think it's a very good idea, mate. I think it's just as just as credible as mine. And um, we, maybe we can send a joint uh, a joint missive to Hunter. What do you think? Winner, we just we just want his opinion on the best one. He can have the best one for free as long as he picks one. <laughs> oh yeah, we should, that's what we should have done. We should have done this like one of our. Um, WrestleMania mixtapes and had someone come on and judge what's the uh, the best one. Next time we get a guest on, so they've got two jobs to do. They'll do um, the best match of RVDs, which we haven't forgotten, and they'll do which is the better idea out of our our pair of classics. Even better. Why don't we uh, Why don't we put it to the listeners on Facebook? Yeah, great idea. Oh, okay. So we both need to write a bit of a um, you know a thesis, then, or don't we? Then kind of. Uh, putting our thing across okay so you have to give us some time on that because I'm going to have to craft a, a beautifully well put issue it can't just be a two liner what would you like to see because well, they'll all vote for yours <laughs> that's why I'm saying well, that well let's get them just to listen to the podcast eh okay yeah well that'd be nice yeah so they've got to listen to the podcast to get the true uh, to do reflection so hi everyone so this is a uh, this has now gone a bit non-linear. It's all, it's all gone a bit Pulp Fiction now. But uh, So those of you that in the future have listened to something and then you've now been listening for a wee while to get to where we are when we're suggesting something in the future which for you is in the past, welcome. Let's confuse them all. And they've switched off again. Never to be seen again. Um, right, we've got one thing left. Unless there's anything else you want to add about those couple of points, we have one thing left on our agenda. Yes. And that is the uh, the pay-per-view on Sunday. Are you ready to, uh, to move on to No Mercy? Indubitably. Excellent, uh, <laughs> channeling Mary Poppins there and uh, hour and hour and a half into the podcast. Um, it is an unbelievably stacked pay per view, I would suggest, considering you know it's a No Mercy, which is a brand. When was the last time we had a No Mercy for a start? Isn't that we haven't had that for a little while? Have we? Am I am I am I forgetting my? Uh, I 
Oh, do we have a Do we have a No Mercy last year? We might have had one last year, but I'm just um, putting it in my phone now to check, but I don't think so. Yeah, I think we, I think um, we might have, but that, that might be when they brought it back. Last year, mate, there was there was one in uh, October, um, headlined by da, 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 Bray Wyatt defeating Randy Orton. So you can understand why you've forgotten that. Yeah, indeed. But um, anyway, you know, a No Mercy is not necessarily thought of as a a WrestleMania, a SummerSlam, or even because I would say it's about three tiers now. Wouldn't you say? I would say there's WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam. And then you've got a second tier, which I would say TLC, maybe, um, Hell in a Cell, uh, maybe uh, Money in the Bank, or in that sort of the, the, the sort of the, I'm talking about the gimmick, yeah, Survivor Series maybe, the the gimmick pay-per-views, but that aren't too overly gimmicky, but they've got the you know the big match as the headline, like the Hell in a Cell coming up and that kind of thing, and everything else sort of feels like. It's just a pay-per-view. It's an excuse. It's it's battleground, or it's sure. you know, you know, or, what, or whatever it may be. Um, so no mercy doesn't exactly feels like somewhere where we have the uh, the biggest matches of all time. But I'm going to put to you, Paul Benson, that Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman and John Cena versus Roman Reigns. If we go back a month or two and rewrite everything that happened in the build-up to SummerSlam and in the aftermath, and then we work away to get to the end of March. And either or both of those are the main and semi-main event at WrestleMania. Are you complaining? No, not in the least. No, I don't think so. No. I think we're getting the equivalent of a double WrestleMania main event on a No Mercy. Right. Now, I will grant you that not everyone's favourite, you know, people in the world are John Cena and Roman Reigns. So there'll be plenty of people going, not interested in those two. Don't care if they kill each other. I'll turn my back on the whole thing. Well, that's fine. That's your opinion. But I think that's going to be an absolute doozy. I am fascinated by how they're going to do that. I have enjoyed the build to it. Um, it's been the most that we've seen, you know, WWE suggesting that they might go with um, Reigns as a heel. We'll see. Um, and then there's Lesnar and Strowman, which has been, you know, the, the next the next chapter of the extraordinary Strowman story. Um, which one would you like to start with? Let's start with let's start with Neville versus Enzo Amore. No, <laughs> no let's, let's not. not. Um, yeah, let's let's start with Strowman Lesnar, shall we? Okay, um, I'll go straight in with the big question then. So, when we sat here, you know, five weeks ago or so, and we were talking about um, the big main event at, at uh, SummerSlam, which, given that you and I haven't really talked about it properly, I would say lived up to our expectations, did it not? It was an excellent Smash Mouth match that we were looking forward to. But we had a long discussion about who was going to win, and you know we kind of came down on the side that you know no one was out of it. We probably thought that Joe might have been the least likely, but we were talking about the prospect of um, Brock leaving. So therefore, who was going to win? Was it going to be Strowman? Was it going to be Reigns? Either made sense, um, and Lesnar ended up winning, which some people saw as a bit of a quote-unquote swerve. Others, you know, suggested that we were all just reading too much into it, and ultimately. Why are you going to beat Brock if he's going to stick about? What if that was just the delayed gratification? What if Brock really is off, but he's actually off now, and this is the crowning of Strowman? Is that possible? Uh, yes. Yes, it's very possible. I've considered the same myself. Um, I would suggest that... I, I, I'm dubious. I think that's calmed down now. I think Brock's sticking around. I don't think he's got any particular reason to go to UFC. 
at, at the moment. Um, but it, of course, is a possibility. I don't think so, though. I think I think I think Brock's going to walk out as champion one way or other. Okay, I I agree with you there. I think Brock is going to walk out as champion, but you didn't say. I think Brock's going to win. Did you? Uh, no, I most certainly did not. So is the most likely thing here some sort of, you know, some sort of finish like your Lesnar Orton from SummerSlam or, you know, something that is going to be a big WWE spectacular ending? Do you remember, um, was was there not a pay-per-view that ended with Big Show choke slamming John Cena into a light or something? Wall, um, and or, or you have your equivalent of the, you know, the ring collapse. I know they're not going to do that again, but... Um, uh, they have on occasions decided we're not going to give you a finish we're going to give you a Hollywood ending now we've actually had loads of those over the last few months with Reigns and Strowman in particular but there's been ambulances falling and crashing and having you know all sorts of stretcher incidents and there's been a lot of Hollywood smash incidents that's not a very good expression but you know what I mean um, been these big events that have overshadowed the actual matches um, for good or for bad I feel like we're coming to one here. I feel like there's going to be something here which is going to be, you know, an, an unbelievable dramatic incident where the pair of them look like they're dead, and so you don't see anything other than the closed credits at the end of the pay-per-view, and then the following night on Raw, Lesnar's nowhere to be seen because he's badly hurt, and Strowman's striding out on his feet again, and you do this whole thing of Strowman constantly demanding a title shot, but actually Lesnar's injured. And you can, you know, you can play that whole thing of, you know, for because what what they have done over the last couple of months is they have been happy to let Lesnar. Well, the whole last year actually, since the Goldberg thing, they're happy to make Lesnar look vulnerable. They never used to let Lesnar look all that vulnerable, but now they've had Goldberg make him look vulnerable. Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, you know, Lesnar now takes a beating and goes out during a match and then comes back, or face to face with someone on Raw gets his ass kicked. You never used to do that with Lesnar. So they're obviously happy to let him, you know, to use a, an old wrestling expression, show a bit of ass and get beaten every now and again and show a little bit of jeopardy. And I think that says a lot for Strowman, but I just don't think they're going to do the big crowning of Braun Strowman on a no mercy. I think that's what that's what's holding me back. Uh, I think your scenario there is a cracker. Actually. I think that make, can you imagine how strong that would make Strowman look um, when he comes out at the, the opening segment the next night on Raw? It'd be fantastic. Um, and then he's got motivation to rip through the roster. Um, they, broad, more broadly, they really need to crown Braun Strowman at some point. I don't care what the Roman Reigns clans were. This guy has captivated the entire WWE fan base. I'm not going to say universe. <laughs> um, and I just think to not give him the title at some point soon would be doing an incredible disservice to him, to the company, to the fans. It just... It, really they need to call an audible to make it happen but particularly on this event I something big has to happen you're right something has to happen to finish this match off assuming that Lesnar walking out with the belt now that could well be that big Hollywood ending that you've mentioned and I think it probably will be but just to throw another possibility into the into the mix we could have something a bit more traditional wrestling and something we've seen at least once before if not twice Look at oh, I know, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Look at how the relationship 
between Lesnar and Heyman has changed over the last few weeks with Lesnar constantly interrupting Heyman and Heyman looking a little bit shocked and exasperated in the background what if Heyman's had enough of being talked over by Brock Lesnar and playing second fiddle what if he doesn't do a deal with the monster among men oh well listen we talked about this didn't we in the build up to SummerSlam we talked about is this the time when Heyman I think I talked about it as being Heyman goes with Reigns did I not I think that was that was my idea was that Heyman was going to drop Lesnar and go with Reigns and then it was you that put me back in my place and uh, actually I think this was on the podcast we recorded that we didn't put out because of the technical issue so people may not have heard this but yeah certainly my idea was about um, Lesnar sorry Heyman dropping Lesnar going with Reigns and uh, you know, the ultimate way of getting Reigns over as a heel would be to have Brock Lesnar, uh, would have Paul Heyman with him. And then you quite sensibly put it out. Um, the gimmick is that if Lesnar loses, that both he and Heyman have to leave. And then obviously that, that knackered my idea because if Heyman had to leave, then he wouldn't turn on uh, on Lesnar. So that put me back in my box. But yeah, just as you were about to say that, then I suddenly thought, wow, yes, that's the that's the scenario. It won't bother them that they've done it before with. You know, it was the big show last time. Um, that was at about this time of year, was it? Was that a Survivor it was, Series? Yeah, Survivor Series 2002, 15 years ago. Yeah, so, so slightly earlier in the year, but perhaps, perhaps this is the moment then when you have the the Strowman. So let's 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 you know ping miles forward. What about Strowman going with Lesnar now? Oh, I keep saying that Strowman going with Heyman now becomes the champ. Lesnar disappears for the longest of times. Lesnar wins the Rumble. Surprise entrant in the Rumble wins the Rumble. And we do Lesnar versus Strowman at Mania. No, I would say if you're going to do that, and again, I'm saying this, I don't think this will happen, but if you're going to do that, I think it becomes the end of Lesnar's title ambitions for a while. I could see something along the lines of Lesnar, Strowman at the Rumble with some sort of stipulation where it's Lesnar's last title shot um, ever if he doesn't beat Strowman in this one he doesn't get another one and then you have something like somebody can come out and interfere in that match that becomes Lesnar's Wrestlemania opponent um, such as oh well you'd have to have Lesnar as a face so let's say oh god you put me right on the spot there my friend Kevin Kevin Owens Kevin Owens why not why not Kevin Owens you know or if I'm if I'm Kurt Angle no if I'm fantasy <laughs> booking it, you know, for me it would be Rusev. But that's not. Oh, yeah, they, they don't think they don't think enough of Rusev to do that. So. Um, that would look more realistic. Um, so that would be that, and then you get Braun Strowman going on, and you could have Reigns defeat him at WrestleMania if you really wanted. If you get if you can get Strowman over enough as a heel, then you can get Reigns as a face counterpoint if you really work at it. Um, it won't. They, they would cheer. They would still cheer Strowman. Maybe, maybe they would. But that's never bothered WWE in the past. That's the way I'd see it going. Listen, I love a couple of these scenarios. I think um, I still think if you if you're backing me into a corner and saying what's going to happen, I'm going to go with my idea of there being some sort of you know big like, movie style double ending. Um, but I, I listen. I would say yours is a very strong candidate. If mine's if mine's down as maybe a you know an eight to eleven favourite, I'd say yours is no bigger than two to one second favourite. I think it's a, I think it's more. I think your scenario there is more likely than Lesnar just wins or Strowman just wins. Yes. In fact, I put I put Strowman just wins as third what? choice. No, I wouldn't. Fourth choice. 
I'd say third choice is somehow Strowman gets disqualified for just beating the shit out of Lesnar but not winning the match. Third, fourth is Strowman actually just wins straight up. I think my fifth choice answer is Lesnar just wins. I just don't see the point of having Lesnar just beat Strowman and Strowman's back to square one again. They've done way too much with him unless they do a full-on you know, Heyman low blows Strowman and then Lesnar hits him with a quick F5 and then you do the whole you know, Strowman gets five minutes with Paul Heyman at a future match with Lesnar sort of deal. You could do that, but a lot of it depends on what the Beast is up to. We've seen a lot of Brock Lesnar this year. It's worth, worth saying that throughout the year, all right, not, you know, regular house shows or Raws or anything like that, but have we seen more of Lesnar in the last 12 months than in any other period since he came back? Unquestionably. Unquestionably. There's more dates on his contract. He's doing more when he's back. Yeah, we've seen a lot more. He's done a lot more house shows as well, hasn't he? But just to go back to one of our previous points, Rob, here's your guy that interferes at the Rumble and faces Lesnar at WrestleMania, Samoa Joe. Well, I was going to bring up Samoa Joe at some point because he's he's been uh, conspicuous by his absence of late. He's not anyone on this card. You know, he certainly doesn't plug into anything at the moment. I feel... Uh, yes, I know he's injured, but I'm saying that in, in terms of the... Um, you know, the, the, the stories and, and how it all goes at some point you've got to bring him back into something and um, I would say that him being someone that would be a Strowman opponent we've not really we've not done that yet have we we've not done Joe and Strowman have we really not properly not aware not that I remember no so I, I think that fits I think it fits nicely if Strowman were to not win the title for some reason does that mean Joe's a Samoa uh, does that mean Samoa Joe is a Paul Heyman guy Good because Heyman, Heyman was very... I mean, I know we've just done Joe versus Lesnar, so... And, and Joe choked out Heyman, so it'd be quite a quick uh, quite a quick turnaround. But, you know, they can always tell that story about the... Um, uh, you know, the respect factor coming into it. And Heyman was actually very complimentary of Joe, wasn't he, on all the, in all those promos and was making him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out Joe being a, a Paul Heyman guy. Not in the least. Very possible. Cool. I think we've uh, explored some scenarios there. I feel like I'm more into that match than I was uh, 20 minutes ago. Um, let's see if I can. We can do the same thing for uh, Cena versus Reigns. I doubt it because I'm already extremely excited for this. Um, I've been waiting to see this match for at least a couple of years. Um, to me, it's just one of those really fun. To me, this is. It's not the, the same stratosphere, but this is not far off of Hogan Warrior to me. This is that thing of two megastars now Hogan Warrior were megastars in the eyes of the fans these two are megastars in the eyes of the office but Cena is still a legit megastar he's been around for the longest, longest of times I think the, the fans although they do the kind of play along John Cena sucks I think the majority of those would if a bit begrudgingly admit that Cena's excellent and deserves his role not sure they do for Reigns yet this actually feels maybe if it's not maybe if it's not Hogan versus Warrior Maybe it's a little bit more like Bret Hart and Lex Luger going into the Royal Rumble 1994, where you've got someone that, you know, I don't think the, the fans respect Cena to the extent that they would have respected Bret back then, but they certainly weren't really going for Luger, and, you know, if there was a way of making you know, Cena look a bit stronger, it's have him stand up against Reigns, who the... Uh, I, I think there's a bit in uh, Mick Foley's book, is there, not always, they're talking about the ECW fans' um, approach towards the other... Uh, leaders other than Paul Heyman is that they might have uh, hated Vince but they respected him but they hated Bischoff and it was like so in that analogy maybe you know Reigns is Bischoff and 
and Cena is Vince that uh, the fans if they have to side they're going to side with Cena but as always I think um, it comes down to is it more interesting when you don't know the outcome when you have a genuine this could go either way about it and I stand here right now and I'm not convinced I know which way they're going to book this so that's my big intrigue going in have you got an inkling? Um, my inkling is that Roman Reigns goes over just because he needs it more um Agreed. I'm not saying that with any great degree of um, any great degree of certainty. I'm massively intrigued by this match. First of all, I think it's going to be a phenomenal match. Both Cena and Reigns both absolutely deliver when it comes to big matches with almost unparalleled consistency. And they work best when they're working with big guys. They're going to do an absolutely brilliant job together. It's going to feel so fresh. The atmosphere is going to be so intense and interesting because for the first time in over a decade, John Cena is going to be the overwhelming babyface in this match. You are going to hear the pop of John Cena's career um, when he comes out for this match this, because the timing's just right, the opponent's just right. You're, you're absolutely. People have been wanting the excuse to give John Cena that massive cheer for a long, long time, because you're dead right. The, the general fan base respects the hell out of him now. The Cena sucks chance are the way, are the same as the Angle sucks chance uh, that he got back in the day. Nobody really means it. They're all playing along now. People love John Cena, and they're going to show it this Sunday. Um, I think we're going to get a straight-up wrestling match, and I think Reigns is going to win. The build-up's been bizarre I suppose to say at least very very interesting where they've let these guys go in terms of promos there's been nothing held back absolutely nothing they've laid bare everyone's deficiencies everyone's backstage faults they've referred to heels and faces they've talked about Roman Reigns' pale drug test for crying out loud it's as if the Vince McMahon has just turned his back and let them get on with it and it's made for a really 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 interesting atmosphere um, and I loved the uh, Reigns promo this week without without Cena there, how he turned around what Cena said about The Rock those few years ago and just ended that promo with the see you later movie star and I just thought, you know what that is perfect um, well, yeah I agree and it's I've been most interested through this about about how Reigns has carried himself because every now and again and it's difficult to explain this but if we go back to 1997 when you do the famous double turn with Steve Austin and, and Bret Hart right the double turn was in the mind of the crowd and this is always forgotten go and watch Raw for the next six weeks or so or maybe even longer after Wrestlemania Austin is a heel they book him as a heel. Jim Ross talks about him as being a nasty, no-good piece of work. He's a heel. And people have forgotten this. In the same way that they forget that you know he, cut, he did won the King of the Ring and cut that promo and everyone thinks he went immediately to stardom, and he didn't. He wasn't even on the next pay-per-view. Um, they think the double turn happened as a deliberate thing, and it, it did to an extent because obviously they had him you know, not tap out and... and you oh, know, it was clean. Show a you know show a lot of career. They obviously did that, but for the next little while, they still portrayed him as a heel. And I think it's because they'd started to cotton on to the fact that fans were cheering the anti-hero. 
I'm not saying they actually really genuinely thought he was a heel, but they didn't have Jim Ross immediately start going, Austin's great. They had him going, he's a horrible bastard, and he was stunning everyone, and the crowd were cheering him. Now, Reigns has an issue here, where for the first time, he's really started to be a little bit more of a heel. But in doing so, he's shown a bit more depth to his character, and a bit more edge to his character, and who's he having a go at? Cena, who half the fan base doesn't like anyway. This is the weirdest way of going about it, but in making Reigns a little bit more heelish, I think he got more cheers. And it's a very strange way that we have to approach things these days, but it's... Do you see what I'm saying by that? Is that if they made him a heel as in just a I'm you know dead conceited Roman Reigns and I'm better than you, you know maybe the heel thing would work. But I'm not convinced that they might go the wrong heel route with him here. If they make him a bit of a cool guy slagging off Cena, they might have decided for the first time in three years to actually make him a heel and he'll get cheered because of it. It's a paradox, but it's it might happen. If they go that way, they will be delighted because they. They I mean, just want to get Reigns over whatever it takes, and if they, and if that's making him go a little bit more heel, then congratulations, you've done the right thing. Um, you could well be right, you know. I I didn't notice a lot more of a face reaction to him, but I wouldn't be so massively surprised if he carries on in the vein he's going. The problem I have with Roman Reigns is he's just not that good as a talker. I don't believe no, what not. Roman Reigns says. That's the problem. I don't believe. That he believes it, um, uh, and I have the same problem with Dean Ambrose. Um, whereas with all the real top guys, you know, Cena, uh, the Miz, even as a as a talker, even Braun Strowman, you believe that what they what's coming out of their mouths is what that 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 person or that character believes. With Reigns, it feels completely manufactured, and that's because he's got no real got no real fire behind his eyes and what he's saying and you can't manufacture that Austin had that and if they don't bring that out of him some way somehow then he's never going to get to the top was it Shawn Michaels that used to say that the secret to a great character was in the eyes um, and Ray- um, I- ironic if it is because one of Shawn's is pointing a funny direction but um, um, uh, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a very nice thing to say to one of my all time heroes um, but um, no, I, I don't know if it was, but it's certainly true. That's true, and um, and that's one of Reigns' big letdowns is the fact that he, his eyes betray him. Whenever you look at him, his eyes betray what he's saying. Um, and again, using the Braun Strowman comparison, you know, Braun Strowman is not the greatest wrestler. It's very easy to say that, but he has a much better grasp of his character and a much better use of his physical being to his character than Roman Reigns has and when you see that close up of Braun Strowman you look he scares the shit out of people like you know he's genuinely intimidating um, apart from my little boy who I showed a picture of him to this morning and he said he looked funny uh, <laughs> that's that by the by um, he's becoming a little bit of a wrestling fan you know Rob on the sly who Braun Strowman no, Samuel <laughs> anyway well, well, he's the champ. He's the champ. champ. Scooby Doo goes to WrestleMania. He keeps. He started talking about John Cena the other day. I said, I've never, I've never once spoke to him about John Cena. But his favorite three wrestlers are John Cena, The Undertaker, and The Rock. And I've never shown him a second with the footage of any of them. That's interesting. <laughs> so he, he's obviously on the. Uh, he's on the dirt sheets. <laughs> 
Samuel at uh, age is he, is he four yet? He's three and a half. Yeah, he's not quite four yet. So not quite four yet. He's already subscribed to. Uh, um, he listens to uh, Brian and Vinny on um, Figure Four Daily and uh, and all those guys. He's uh, he's a uh, he's a mark. So uh, going back to the subject, like I, I'm going to cop out on this one. I'm not going to pick a winner because I just think that the the journey is far more interesting than the destination in this case. Oh, you don't have to pick a winner. We're not the same old shit podcast, mate. Where we have to pick winners and losers. We're just throwing out ideas and. Uh, and having a chat about it. I'm going to throw in a scenario that I would like to see. I don't see them doing this, but it would be a little um, uh, a nod to history. If we're looking at the uh, the big show, Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar uh, angle as, uh, as um, impetus for that one. Um, I take you to, let me get my year right, Survivor Series 1995. What was the main event? Survivor Series 1995, the main event was Diesel against Bret Hart. I'm going to do Cena as Bret, Reigns as Diesel, Babyface be Babyface, except they liked Bret more, they liked Cena more. I'd like, let's have your, your, your knockdown drag out, as Bret would call it, match where... We do the full, you know, modern day kick out of two finishes each. You can't work out because you can't work out who's going to win. Cena puts on the STF and Reigns powers out of it, and we get Superman punches and spears, and Cena keeps kicking out. You know, how are we going to do this? And then Reigns hits a move, and Cena holds his ankle, and Reigns stands over him and looks, and the ref tries to stop the match and whatever, and then there's Cena grab him inside cradle. One, two, three. Or some sort of little playing possum just caught him out. Cena rolls him up. One, two, three. And then Reigns, either straight after the match or on Raw, destroys him. Absolutely destroys him. And Cena can throw in, you know, you're good, mate, but you've not got, you're not Cena, you've not got my brain. And it's that. And then the story that you can tell over however long you want to go over the next couple of weeks, months, years of these two wrestling each other. Your story you tell is how Roman Reigns has to be clever enough to beat Cena. Not that he's not good enough, that he needs to be clever enough. And I think that would be a really good story to tell. That's a really good way of passing the torch. Not just having Reigns beat Cena now. If you do that, fine. But again, it's a no mercy. Does it really mean as much as rather than having Reigns win at the Rumble or at WrestleMania against Cena? Are we just rushing this in so that they can get a Reigns win under, over Cena so they can you know, just say that he's beaten him? I'd love to think it's something a little bit more deep than that and that you could get two or three shows out of it. And I'd do it by having Cena win first. And he wins first not because he's better, but because he's smarter. And then, then you can either do the Reigns heel turn by just beating the shit out of Cena, or you can still make him that... Because Diesel didn't turn heel by beating up Bret Hart. He just became that sort of edgy babyface. And so I could see them doing that with Reigns if they wanted to just try a different approach. So I might, I think I'd go with that. That's not what I think they'll do, but I'm saying it's an option. Yep. I'd be all in on that, mate. I, I say if you're going to hark back to old angles and old matches with babyface versus babyface, then you don't get much better than that. No, I mean, that's a really great... I think that's the best match of Diesel's career, or Kevin Nash's career. Um, you know, if you can find me a better match um, than that one in particular, you know, you know, I'm going to say Bret Hart is a much better wrestler than, than John Cena is, was, or ever will be. But 
Um, that's not. I'm not a big Cena fan because I absolutely am, and I think that there are comparable um, roles to be played here. I certainly think that there's a big comparison between Nash and Reigns, yep. um, and, a, and a slightly lesser one between Cena and Brett. But they're but they're both there, and the um, you know, fulfilling those roles makes sense. And I just think that's a good way of taking. As always with these kind of things, the on the surface you're looking at who's going to win. In reality, what the people making decisions and what the people writing it should be doing is saying, okay, this is who wins, but why are they winning? Where do we take it? And because wrestling is a, you know, is effectively the soap opera, it, it never ends. There's no real ending. There's just a, there's an ending of one point, but then you move on to the next bit. You're always setting up for the next thing. So, if all they're interested in is having Roman Reigns look strong, then you're right. Reigns will just beat him, and Cena will shake his hand afterwards and say, you're better than me. And it would effectively be the end of John Cena. This is the thing: is that how much more are they going to do with Cena after this? Maybe Cena is practically done. Maybe Cena is just going to wrestle Undertaker at WrestleMania in a Legends match, and that's Cena done. We don't know these things, and that's part of the intrigue as a fan. So if they decide, you know, Cena is winding down and is not really going to be around very much, maybe it's just a match to throw out there. So so Reigns has another notch on his belt. I'd love to think it's something a little bit more deep than that, and then they could find a way of continuing it but I'm just saying that unless Reigns wins by cheating which I don't see them doing I I think Reigns I think you're right I think Reigns will win this clean but I'd love to think there's another way of doing so cool well roll on no mercy indeed um, there are uh, five other matches uh, in front of me on the card which is uh, is written out and they are Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins versus Cesaro and Sheamus Finn Valor versus Bray Wyatt Neville versus Enzo Amore Alexa v Sasha v Bailey v Nia v Emma and The Miz against Jason Jordan um, we're not going to go through all of these uh, individually in fact we're not going to go through these at all but um, of those five is there one that's, uh, that jumps out at you that you're uh, most looking forward to seeing there's quite a few um, there's a couple of repeats in there and there's a couple of multi-person matches yeah there is to me it's uh, the Sheamus and Cesaro against Ambrose and Rollins match um, loved it at SummerSlam expected to love it I'm expecting to love it again and they're going to put on a great match I think uh, match quality wise it's going to be a good show yeah it should be really um, I assume that Jordan wins the IC title and we we're, we start off on something there it feels like it's the uh that's where they're going to go with that one. Um, obviously, lots of women in a match. I think you tend to find that the, the heel champion wins those. I think Neville and Amore is a strange one, but um, obviously they're still... Sorry, Sorry no, I'm interrupting. You go. Um, Amore, they're sort of enamoured with of keeping him around somehow, but it seems a strange thing to have him beat Neville, so I assume he doesn't. And then to me, we've seen Balor and Wyatt. I mean, it's... Boring. I'm a, it feels just like a real rehash and... You know, I want I want Finn to I want Finn to have storylines where he's wrestling people. You know, it's, I don't know where I can't really see a great. The thing is, I can't look, I don't look at Raw and see a great deal of other options for for what do you do next with Finn because it's a it's a little bit slim pickings in terms of like you say unless it's Joe. You know, that would be a very very cool thing to see um to see Joe and Finn a bit more. But I know we've saw them a lot in their in NXT, but I can still stand to see them again. Unless it's Joe, I'm not sure where we go with Finn Balor. He seems to be stuck in a little bit of a cold. He has gone so far down into the Bray Wyatt black hole that it's going to take six months to bring him back out. To the point where you've got this arse backwards booking where you've had the, the demon come out at SummerSlam and now the story for this one is, oh, 
you've, you've faced the demon, but now you've got to face the man who created the demon. Give me a break. Come on. Yeah, that doesn't really work, does it? It's out. It's, it, it was bad last month. It was bad the month before. It's going to be even worse this month. Please, someone get Balor away from him, rehabilitate him, and get Bray Wyatt off my screen because he has just killed the momentum and killed the career of way too many guys over the last three years. It has to stop. Yeah, we've covered this before, and I didn't think you're right. Um, it's uh, it's sad to say, but um, maybe he's uh, got another character in him somewhere that he can uh, come back later down the line. But I'm with you, Paul. Um, Bray Wyatt going away now would not be the worst thing in the world. And hey, let's have Finn Balor hook up with Bailey again on the Randy and Liz <laughs> classic that Rob is booking for the new year. Speaking, and uh, speaking of Bailey, I disagree with you on the multi-women match. I think. Bailey was probably slated to win at SummerSlam before she got injured, and I think uh, that would have led to a Sasha Banks heel turn and a feud. I suspect they've just brought this back in so they can redo that um, just a, a month today. So I think Bailey's going to win and Sasha's going to turn at some point soon. Wouldn't talk to you about that except for did we not have that conversation a little while about a while ago about how in having to do the. Um, the four horsewomen thing at some point do we not need to keep them baby face for uh, that? Uh, yeah good point very good point yeah yeah you're right there is that although yeah. if we're talking about that being Wrestlemania how far away well, are we eight, mo- eight months nine months is a long time ago I think we're talking about it being Survivor Series oh well then well perfect then if we're doing it in Survivor Series and it's, it's, it's only around the well, corner so the um, that, you know, believe the rumour mill and the plan is you get the horsewomen match at Survivor Series and then you get the Ronda Rousey one-on-one match with Charlotte at WrestleMania. I'm not going to argue with that. That's um, That works for me. And that's a Survivor Series, folks, that you might be able to enjoy for a knockdown price with Hooked on Wrestling at selected venues across the country. More of that more of that next time, Paul, do we think? Or is it uh, still a bit of a work in progress? Well, I would say I'll be able to give some more concrete plans next week. Excellent stuff. So... Um, we've crammed a hell of a lot into uh, to a couple of hours, just over two hours uh, today. Thank you all for uh, for listening in, Paul. It's been great uh, great having you back, mate. As much as it pains me to have to try and be nice to you, but it's been uh, been fun having you back. But thank you very much to Dean, who I thought was uh, was fantastic stepping in next week once again because WCW is the the new Dean AS project. You can go and listen to uh, to that right now. It's available on uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, and all sorts of other places, I believe. Um, but for us, we're, we're going to try and be uh, a bit more regular now, mate, aren't we? We've, we've both been busy for uh, a few weeks, but we're going to try and bring it back to a, a more regular schedule. So we uh, we intend to be back next week. Um, and when we do, we'll be able to talk about the aftermath uh, of No Mercy. We'll be able to hopefully be able to bring on a guest uh, who can be our guest judge of the best of times and worst of times of Rob Van Dam, which has been uh, circulating in the ether for a long time. Me and you ought to have a couple of matches available to us. We've had about nine weeks to think about it. Um, and we will do all of that, plus any other topics that uh, that jump up in the interim next week on the Hooked On podcast. Any final word, Paul? Uh, just a quick thank you, Rob, to you for being patient with me in my uh, return to the podcast, and thank you for holding the fall of the way. pains me to say also that you've done a rather immaculate job, mate. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, the mutual um, respect society ends right now. We can go back to being uh, horrible to one another next time. But uh, to all of you, thank you very much for listening in and for your continued support uh, of Hooked On Wrestling. In fact, before we go, Paul, just give us a 
give us a couple of the um, the plugs of the social media where people can follow oh, us. Oh, go on then. So you've got facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling, or you can get us on Twitter at HO underscore wrestling. Excellent stuff. So uh, we hope you'll be able to uh, to join us there. We'll be um, we'll be chatting a bit more on our social media as we go into the weekend uh, about the uh, the pay per view itself, and we'll have some um, some thoughts there. Uh, and indeed, we might uh, we might even put to the social media what's a better idea about our classics. Is it going to be uh, my Randy and Liz mixed tag classic, or is it Paul's Legends one? Uh, we might even put that out to the uh, the social media audience as well at some point. But make sure you're following us uh, on all sorts of fronts. Hookedonevents.co.uk also is our website. And stay tuned for some news regarding Survivor Series in the next couple of weeks, maybe even debuting on this podcast next week. So uh, thank you very much again for uh, for listening in. And just remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. We'll see you very soon. Yeah.